So you're actually the first uh, non, well, non-TACP guy, non-Air Force, really, uh, guy I've had on. Um, made the but cut. Th- yeah, you did. But I think, like I said in, your, in the multiple texts we send back and forth, I, I think your career is like one of those um, unique careers that most people don't follow. You know, like there's there's like certain paths that everybody goes down and you've seemed to um, divert in different ways than most people do. So I kind of wanted to get, you know, and it's not, now I think it's a great thing. I think what you're yeah. doing is awesome. So I wanted to get on here and kind of like you talk about that and kind of, because there's a lot of things that um, a lot of people they get in these career paths and they feel stuck, you know, like a lot of them, yeah. they, they feel like, well, this is what I got to do. I'm this kind of guy. This is, this defines mm-hmm. me. And, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. A lot of guys love what they like me. I mean, I did the same thing for the whole, my whole career pretty much. Um, but other guys want to divert. Like I just had uh, a buddy of mine on, uh, recently Brandon temple. He did kind of the same thing you did where he, matter of fact, he did almost the exact same thing you did. So, um, as far as like going to DC and working on the Hill and that kind of thing, so um, recap, uh, and what career, he did was, and then we'll kind of hit the finer points of them. Right. That way, kind of give uh, everybody an idea of like what you, what you're, what we're in for. Yep, I uh, went to flight school in 2003, graduated in 04. Uh, from there, Blackhawk guy went up to Fort Campbell, was a platoon leader, company commander. Spent almost six years at Fort Campbell, um, Iraq, platoon leader, Afghanistan, uh, company commander twice. And then from there, I went to the Congressional Fellowship. So that took me to D.C., uh, George Washington University, which is different for the Army program than others. Uh, So I got a master's in legislative affairs, went to the Hill, worked for the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee on his personal and professional Mm -hmm. staff. We had kind of one foot in each Um, and then went to the Pentagon for budget authorizations for the Senate and House. Uh, So everything kind of below a tank is what fell into my portfolio in the Army. There's six of us to deal with the hardware. Wow. From there, yeah, from there became an acquisition officer. So as a program manager, uh, working on the Army's number one aviation program, H-60 Victor, which is an old Lima aircraft, ripped out the guts, put digital cockpit in there. And the fact it just is past its first unit, uh, or I think final test uh, a couple months ago. Um, so it's actually getting fielded now, which is awesome. Uh, from yeah, how there, many years later? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, from there, I was actually uh, on assignment finally to the uh, one of the special operations units, and I got pulled from that assignment to go be an assignments officer, career manager. <laughs> I was super Dang excited it. about that, which then led me to get out. Right, I spent a year right. doing that, and I was like, "This is not for me." <laughs> and uh, I got out, came down here to Texas, uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, joined the Texas National Guard. Was a congressional liaison here, then worked in counter drug for a year. Then I was a state public affairs officer and then went back to congressional affairs and was most recently down on the border uh, for the last six months um, or so, kind of active status uh, back and forth doing congressional affairs and missions and kind of a whole thing. Um, And then just recently retired uh, in March uh, completely, but now it's an M-Day retirement. So it's like half of a real one. Um, Right, right. And then on the civilian side, uh, when I got out, moved to Texas, was VP of operations for a tech company, left there, uh, Hurricane Harvey hit, so we were activated for that. And then I went to counter drug for a year, left there, um, what I do after that. Uh, about that time, uh, counter drug, I was then consulting with Power Athlete. Um, we were going over the 18th Airborne Corps to run a bunch of training for them. Um, that kind of got hung up and then, Started Blackhawk Lending, 
uh, which still have, and then started a roofing company, sold a roofing company. Oh, so you don't do the roofing company anymore? No, I bought, oh, got bought out by a business partner uh, this summer, which was great. It was looking yeah, to nice. kind of exit it. He shot an offer. It was great for him. Good for me. Awesome. So it's starting to kind of clear the plate off a little bit and really refocus on aviation. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah. Fun. Speaking of that, you are. Oh yeah. How close are you? Are you, you have your license or you're oh, you're getting? I, I do. Your, you got your yeah. license. So I'm a. Commercial... And then you get different ratings, right? Yep. So I've got a rotary wing license, rotary wing license, uh, commercial instrument and that did that back in flight school. And then on the fixed wing side, just a private pilot's license. I'm taking my instrument check ride here a couple of weeks, I think about a week and a half. I'm right after Thanksgiving and then commercial move right after that. So nice. Yeah. And then Blackhawk lending is still up and running and, and helping out veterans getting loans and stuff. It, it is. I'm unwinding it. Um, kind of as we speak, I think I gotta go. I cash a check today and pay my last loan officer as he's departing, um, which is great. I, you know, kind of said, Hey, th we're going to kind of wrap this up. Oh, okay. Um, I'll probably keep Blackhawk lending uh, only in Texas. We won't be multi-state, but probably in Texas for kind of family and friends. Sure. Sure. Um, make sure that we're doing the right thing for folks, but I don't think it'll be a mainstay like it has been for the last couple of years. Oh, okay. Uh, and the market's helping that out too. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. That see, like I said, that was, uh, that so many different paths, so many different like aspects of your career that have almost nothing to do with the other one, you know, like flying almost has little to do with, I mean, I guess you're the acquisitions portion, you know, you were in aviation. So, I mean, which is, which makes sense since that's your background, but you know, other government affairs is kind of different than, you know, mm -hmm. that other stuff, but it's pretty um, funny. Every time I went to try to do something different and apply for it, you know, one of the mentors or colonels or general officers were like, man, look, you're on the right path. You know, this is going to end your career. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Let me, you know, then you get accepted and, and then do well and do the same thing. And they're like, Oh man, I don't know about that. You're like, I know. Well, and that's man. a good point. How about we that's just a... encourage people to do what they want? Exactly. That's a great point. Cause I was just talking, I've talked to it several times on here already about how, you know, it's just, like I said, we're going to fill that square. We're going to fill that slot that's it's vacated by whatever this guy wants to do. You know, I mean, we don't not no hit on you or anybody else, but you know, we, we shouldn't act like the whole thing's going to come crashing down. If this one guy doesn't stick around and do right. X, you know? So, well, yeah, yeah, you as a functional area manager, you, you know, saw that could help people out, put them in slots and you can't, unfortunately, there's only so many slots for what people want to do. But as a, you know, assignments officer, we had a, I mean, you, you're the one deciding for folks, right? And right. so on the acquisition side, way before they manage it now, we would we actually sent out every job that we were filling for that move cycle. And we were able to get something like 90% of the people in their top 10 and yeah. like 85% in their top three. Yeah. And so, you know, hey, we didn't care. Look, if you were sitting somewhere in a great assignment, you know, and, and you had good OERs, we'd try to open that up for somebody if we could. But it was a discussion you're doing great it's a discussion about it now we had other folks you know that were camping out doing terrible i had one guy call me he <laughs> called me and he's like here's what i would like i'm like oh okay this is an interesting start to tell your assignment officer what you'd like yeah and uh he goes well i want to do this yeah he's like i want to do this assignment and then i want to come do your job and then i want to go to this command and i'm like eh, let's talk about that right here buddy number one i'm just gonna i'm just gonna close a couple doors for you um <laughs> you're not going to be an assignments officer. That's not an option for you uh, because this is an assignment nobody wants. 
nor do we ask for it. And we're put here because we're here to serve others, buddy. And you have just highlighted yourself as a selfish officer. So you're not going to do that. So just take that off your plate. Go ahead and scratch that out. It's like, <laughs> right. Oh, okay. And then I say, and by the way, let's pull up your file. Oh, Hey, you see all these OERs that you're doing poorly in? That's probably going to get you kicked out of the army before you reach retirement. So let's not talk about going to your next job. Let's just talk about trying to keep you in the army. We were drawn down at the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So how did you take that? Was he, was he receptive or was he like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about? He was pretty receptive because I just I went line by line, right? And it's unemotional. It's not like I'm being mean to him. I'm like, For here sure. are the numbers, here are the facts, here's the last promotion board data, and here's where you would fall. Right. It's like, uh I'm like, <laughs> so let's see how we can help you rather than you helping yourself. Because that's yeah, yeah. clearly not worked out for you. He's like, What do you mean? I'm like, look at your performance file. Look, if you've been doing what you want, it's not working out. You right. might want to get a little bit of mentorship. <laughs> so I was going to say, you need a mentor, man. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, so we got it all. We, in a nutshell, that's Dave Spanton. And yeah. for those who don't know, Dave and I are brothers. Um, we've been brothers for a long time. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I felt like Trump there. Like we've been brothers for a long time. Uh Let's back up. You were in ROTC in at uh, yeah. Southern Illinois. Yeah. And uh, I remember, was that, I remember coming down for your graduation. Yeah. First um, salute, buddy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's what that was, right? That's what, that's what we were yeah. down there for. Um, so I gave Davis first salute. And then um, from there, you, we we crossed paths again uh, when mm -hmm. you were in flight school because I was stationed at Fort Oh, that's Benning. right. You were at 17th, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, um, you would, uh, we were, we lived in Phoenix City, Alabama at the time. So it was like, well, a couple, you moved oh, to Phoenix City. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, you helped me move to Phoenix City. That's right. <laughs> Did you come over and visit uh, yeah. um, what, before I got married? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we packed you in that U Haul. No, no, I remember that part for sure. Yeah. No. It was like, yeah, we not... came over and went, uh, we went boating with Eric Smith, Smitty who went on to, uh, right before he went to 160th, he might've already, I think he was just getting ready to go to Green Platoon. Oh, okay. And then he went on to um, Flight Concepts after that. Uh, oh, okay. He's actually in Colorado now. But yeah, we voted with him uh, on July 4th on the Chattahoochee. Nice. I do remember that. that that's a dirty river. That's a Dude. filthy river. <laughs> We're the only people out there. Yeah. They're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then, uh, so you got out of flight school and then you went to, did you go straight to the hundred first or did you go somewhere else before that? Man, I did. I, um, I was Oh four. So you get to pick your assignment kind of, if you're high enough on list, pick your assignment. And, uh, I only wanted to go to the hundred first as a Blackhawk guy and, uh, got to the hundred first and then immediately I think within a month you go to air assault school. Mm-hmm. And then platoon leader in aviation, you kind of get stacked up at the time. And so you're actually typically a captain platoon leader. So the rest of your, you know, you come out basically as a first lieutenant. So you've only got a year and a half to make captain at that point. Mm -hmm. So was in, uh, went to the last kind of field problem at Fort Campbell. So we did like tents and everything out there. <laughs> uh, I think we spent a couple months out there and then went to JRTC for a couple months and then we deployed. Um, so kind of that last rotation before GWAT really got rolling. Yeah. Um, so that was good experience as a young LT. And then, yeah, I went to, went to Iraq, took, uh, maintenance. So you went company. to Iraq first. 
Iraq OIF was first for you. Yeah. Okay. OIF left in October 2005, came back in August of 05 uh, okay. because Uncle Dirk was, you know, been diagnosed with cancer and was yeah. getting ready to pass. Um, and so I saw you. Uh, I can't remember where you were at, but um, saw you up there. I actually saw you a fair amount. And then I spent a lot of time with Uncle Dirk uh, down in Baghdad. And then my other cousin was in, I think he was in Taji. Uh -huh. So kind of got to fly around and see you guys quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was the time when I, you came and you had somebody to pick me up wherever I was. I think it was in mm -hmm. Detroit or something. Yeah, that's right. And you, that's right. you were getting promoted and then, yep. yeah. Yeah. So we, promoted yeah, you came you. and promoted me. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's when that gal that like, you know, where we were at in Balad at the air force base, it was basically, you know, civilian, <laughs> non-war fighting environment there we were sitting yeah. in the internet tent talking to talking to uh, your wife and, and my girlfriend that's now my wife and yeah that gal's like your your gun's loaded yeah, yeah. i had a magazine in I, yeah i, I know said, it is i just like set it down i got to think about it and she's like i don't like the way you have that rifle it's loaded i don't like you know i don't feel comfortable with you that being here i'm like you know we're in a war zone right like it's fine it's on the safety's on it's not pointed at anybody you know what are you worried about I don't like yeah. it. Yeah. I like my tough shit. That was a good, I mean, I liked, I liked Iraq mainly, you know, flying around to see family everywhere was awesome. And I was yeah. one of those folks, if I wasn't on the flight schedule because we had, you know, we had 30 Blackhawks flying, I would just jump on a flight somewhere and go somewhere else in Iraq and spend a couple of days. I spent a lot of time down in Baghdad with uncle Dirk. Yeah. Um, and then go down wait, to so Babel. did Dirk, did, did, was he diagnosed while he was in Iraq? Yeah, so I remember him and I would work out a bunch. Um, we, you know, we'd hang out, and he came home in May of '06, and a month before he came home, um, we had talked about his health, and you know, he's, you know, having blood in in his stool, and he had diabetes the whole time he went. He went through uh, SFAS with diabetes. Wow. And so it was kind of one of those, you know, he was, I mean, he was jacked. He was, he's still going out on missions at at 50. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was a little worried about it and he was going to try to come home early, but he didn't want to leave early. So when he got home in May, in June, they diagnosed him. Um, and then he passed away in October. For those who don't know, Dirk, our uncle Dirk Spanton was like, uh, just a badass special forces guy. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know exactly, exactly what he did before. So he mined. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I just uh, please go ahead. I, I I wasn't. I'm not too up on exactly what he what he what his background or what he mm -hmm. you know his history, but I just know he was like just the toughest guy, and like well, it, like we talked about this before, but he was had a big influence on me because when I came home uh, from mm -hmm. basic to uh, our grandfather passed away, um, and I came home early from basic, and Dirk was there, and I, and I was getting ready to go to tech school, and he he said. Um, I was, I asked him, I'm like, Hey, they, they said that I can go to airborne school. Should I do that? I don't even know what it is. He's like, Oh yeah, you should definitely go to airborne school. And then, so that set me on that path, like where, to where I went, you know, I wasn't even going to go. I didn't even know what it was, you know? And he's like, yes, you definitely want to do that. I'm like, okay. And then from then on, it just kind of set me on that path. So he was well, instrumental in like my whole career essentially. Yeah. Well, he's the one that got me into the army. Um, I was in air force ROTC in college first two years and hated it. And I, I wasn't doing well. Right. I mean, yeah. like, I didn't want to be, I know you, you get bunch of buddies that are pilots and we do too, that are mutual. I was like, man, I don't fit in here, man. Yeah. This sucks. And, um, they're like, yeah, you know, you don't fit in here. <laughs> we agree. 
And I had seen what you were doing, you know, and that's what I wanted to do, right? I wanted to be a tech PE. I wanted to be in Ranger Battalion. And I didn't even know what any of this stuff was. Um, right. And I'm like, hey, why can't I go do this? The Army guys are going to shoot guns. They're repelling. They're doing all this. They're like, yeah, you can either basically be a pilot or you're a logistician. They didn't have, you know, kind of the ALO program the way it is now. And right, they didn't right. Have, you know, none of that really was open to officers at the time post-commission. Yeah. And so... Uh, right before 9-11, I went home and talked to Dirk and it was the summer and I was deciding what I was going to do. I was like, am I going to join the Air National Guard because I could basically get into the job jobs that I wanted through that or, you know, I wanted to finish college. So what am I going to do? And he's like, what do you want to do? I was like, look, I want to go do this stuff. He's like, yeah, you want to be an Army ROTC. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, really? He's like, yeah, this is what you're going to do. And I signed up for the Guard, immediately signed up for uh, ROTC and that prevented me from getting deployed before I finished college. No, oh, nice. Which, which was good. I had some buddies that, that didn't do that. They didn't sign their contract and you know, their college was delayed four or five years um, in some cases. Wow. Just timing wise for them because now they're in, then they're, you know, deployed for a year, then they're coming back. They've got to work up for school. And it wasn't as, you know, this is before the rotations were as kind of finely tuned as they were. So it was almost a two year deal for them to be deployed. Yeah. Um, in fact, Joe Natter, the Natter brothers are an example. One brother had signed his contract, graduated with me. One brother hadn't and <laughs> deployed. Wait, so you're talking about you're in college, you uh, but you also joined the Guard. Mm -hmm. And they're deploying people from college to go yeah. to. Yeah. That seems crazy to me. Yeah. 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 If you didn't have a signed officer contract, you were you got activated typically. Wow. When I when Iraq kicked off. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess so. We're, we're war, so it everybody, it makes, man. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what changed from you saw? You know, you were like, I want to do all this stuff, but what changed your mind to go aviation from what you wanted to do? Yeah, I was gonna put. Man, I wanted to be. You know, like I said, infantry guy, door kicking, right. Uncle. There, that's the only path I knew. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. that's what JD does. You know, he just <laughs> got back from Afghanistan a couple of times. Like, that sounds cool. Uncle Dirk's Green Beret. Yeah, I feel like I could do this. And uh, I wanted to put aviation number two. I had taken a ride uh, in a helicopter when I was 15 out at Mount Rushmore, and it was awesome. I like rolled oh, out of there. I was like, I want to fly helicopters. <laughs> and uh, what a great place to get exposure. Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> and the recruiters were terrible. I kind of heard about this high school to flight school. They were terrible. They're like, you have to go be a maintainer. I'm like, I suck at maintenance, man. I don't want to be. I'm not going to be a crew chief. Yeah. Marine Corps, they're like, doesn't exist. I'm like, well, I'll just go to college then. And so. I had talked to our battalion commander in ROTC and he's like, Hey, he called me on Friday or Saturday. He's like, you got to show up and take this test, which was the army flight aptitude test. I was hungover and I barely passed. I, you know, it, you got some buddies that are in flight school or aviation school there and they're getting like one thirties, one forties. I, I roll in with like a one Oh five nineties. Probably not going to get that. All right. Well, I'll be, you know, I'll be infantry, be happy with that. And so yeah. then I go to fill out the selection after my, summer before my senior year and they kind of rate you and, and the whole thing and so he's like hey you know what are you going to put and i'm like well i'm gonna put infantry first aviation second and i don't know combat arms all below that he's like okay well number one if you put aviation on there it has to be first you're not even allowed to put it second all bullshit total lie to me i'm like all right so i just fill out aviation right i mean i look i was not expecting it and so yeah, yeah. then then you come back they're like hey you're gonna be an aviator really 
Okay. Um, and so I remember. Are you sure? In, did, you, like, yeah. did, did you take this? I was in New Orleans, right? If it's <laughs> my college is summed up, I'd taken a two hour elective. And the only thing I had to do is go to New Orleans for a weekend for a conference. And I found out when I was down there. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I show up in Iraq and we're in Balad and Travis Byers, I'll never forget. He was a captain in the Air Force ROTC program. And then he left while I was still in the Air Force program. Yeah. But he was a junior captain. So fast forward basically three or four years, he's now a senior captain. Might have even been a major. I'm pretty sure he's a senior captain. I run into him at the Chow Hall, Chow Hall in Balad. And I'm in an Army uniform and an aviator. And he sees me and I'm like, hey, what's up, Travis? <laughs> he's like, <laughs> what? What are you doing in the Army? You're a pilot? I was like, we got a lot to talk about, man. <laughs> yeah, we haven't caught up in a bit. So. Well, so tell me about, uh, you mentioned OIF a bunch of times. Did, were there any significant, uh, like, how was that? Like you were a platoon leader. So, Mm -hmm. um, first of all, tell me about that. Like, what does that mean? And like for the aviation side, I know what it means for on the ground, but Mm -hmm. like if, if you're a a PL in an aviation unit, what does that mean? And then what kind of, um, missions were you guys running over there? Yep. So I was in fourth battalion and it's, time the 101st had two brigades you had assault platoons and, and battalions and then you had general support we fell into one of the assault battalions nice um so you know flying air assault if you're a 101st guy you're flying air assaults it's what you sure. do um in iraq it turned into a lot okay. of ass and trash you, you know general support ring routes i mean you guys were getting kind of all around and you guys were using you know a regiment or i guess task force in the evenings and so that left us to daytime assaults uh, some nighttime stuff, but mostly most of our time was spent moving people around the battlefield with um, kind of occasional, or I'd say routine assaults um, through that. Now, yeah. I'd say probably one of the biggest things we had, we had some kid, I cannot remember his name, uh, was kidnapped by second of the 5-0 Deuce. Um, he was kidnapped in Baghdad. And so... You know, How? Was, like, what happened? This platoon was stalked by these guys. It... I mean, you remember back then, man, it was kind of in the fight, right on right, kind of east or west of downtown and between downtown and the airport. And this platoon, I think they'd had a couple of guys that had killed a couple of folks down there. And so they were going after this platoon and, and this kid, basically, they got ambushed, they grabbed him out of there. And so we were trying to recover him. And I'd say wow. that was really kind of the first time for me where... You know, it's direct engagement. It's, you know, assaulting right right in the middle of the town, dropping folks off. And it was just kind of all day. Uh, for yeah. that. And I was the, I think I was the air mission commander for that one and uh, spent a bunch of time on the ground with folks sitting in, you know, Humvees and kind of moving it and then going to fly and uh, ended up meeting a couple of the guys that were on the ground a year or two later. We were assigned with them and then uh, moved out with them. So, you know, we flew out to we went everywhere from. You know, up by you, all the way to Mosul, all the way to Erbil, all the way out to Al-Assad. You know, we went everywhere. Um, so anybody that I talked to from Iraq, right, it's kind of interesting. Been there and been there a bunch. Uh, flew with the Marines out there, flew a bunch of, you know, kind of the um, musicians and all that. So it was kind of <laughs> yeah. all over. Well, wait, so back up. So what happened with this kid? Like, uh, like what? Ha- uh, he got snatched by some locals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he ended and, up. Uh, I think he ended up being killed. Uh, oh, really? We didn't. Yeah, we didn't get him. Uh, we didn't get him back. And we were, 
you know, I think we assaulted for like two full days and then, you know, our, our time was up and we passed it off. Um, but yeah. it really kind of slowed down. Were they just like clearing build, like build, building the building, mm-hmm. look for this guy. And then mm-hmm. you never, nobody ever found him, huh? Yeah, I think, well, they did find him eventually, but I think he, he had been killed. Uh, oh man. Yeah. <sighs> That's crazy that it, first of all, that even happened, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it's a lot different, right? I mean, I, I think, I don't remember if you were still in country when they got Zarqawi. Um, yeah, I don't know. But, we, you know, we came back. It was interesting, man. You'd go all the way out west and you come into Baghdad. And I remember the night they got Zarqawi because they shut down Baghdad air. Yeah. So we were coming to fly in. It was like 11 or 12 o'clock at night, you know, goggled up. And they're like, yeah, uh, you can't come in. We're like, yeah, okay, we'll go somewhere else. They're like, no, 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 it's, you're shut down what do you mean it's Jeez. like note him it's note him out you're stacked all the way to you know twenty four thousand. find somewhere to go we're like well, where, where are you gonna go yeah where do you go where did you go we go to blood we circled back and i think we man i think we just circled back and we landed back in not al-assad um what was the plate what was the one that had the human triangle it was you're the asking the wrong guy about yeah, names or stuff. <laughs> you know, you know, I forgot. It was the like it was the prison there. Uh, we landed back there and, and oh, okay, dropped some folks off, and then eventually went back. I mean, once they once they killed him, they opened it back up. We could fly, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting, man. So you did the. How long were you in Iraq? Uh, ten months. Ten, ten months. months. Yeah. These army deployments are crazy, man. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, man. I mean, even with the even with the. And when I was with Recky, we my longest one was five months, maybe. And that was only because I want to say that that five month rotation was during Iraq, the, the initial mm-hmm. push. So like we were in Afghanistan and they're like, well, Iraqs can also just hang out in Afghanistan for another couple of months. Right. We're like we, we're rotating guys over there. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, come on, let's but yeah, five months as long as I've ever been. I got a buddy at work who who went for 15 months, I want to say. I mean, yeah. he, I think he was there for 12 and and then he came back and they're like, well, we made him, we didn't make a mistake, but like, we need you guys to go back over. And they shipped him back over for another three or four months. That'd be the worst. I had, man, you know, the hunt first is interesting. We were a year on year off essentially for almost a decade. And Jeez. we had guys that would do a year, come back for a year to, you know, a year to the day, almost they were then back in country. And then during the surge, they were doing 15 months. Kevin Matthews, a friend of ours that, that yeah. did that, and then would come back for a year or two, knock out of school and then go again. Right. Um, it's tough. That's it's crazy, man. Yeah. That, there's a better way to do it for sure. I don't Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. That's, it seems like the path of least resistance, you know, like, well, we'll just leave you over there for a year to 15 months. And, instead of rotating people over every at least six months. I mean, you get such battle fatigue at that point. I can't imagine those guys. I mean, but then again, that's a testament to like our soldiers, you know, the people that go there, they're like, yeah, it does suck. And it's 15 months, but, and they're still doing the mission, you know, they're not letting in Mm -hmm. their guard down and they're still doing what they need to do. So Mm -hmm. I think that's, which is why, I mean, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but that's kind of where the leaders have to step in and be like, yes, my guys are going to do whatever I tell them to do. So I'm not going to make them do that stuff. You know what I mean? Like they, I, they, instead of taking advantage of the resolve of the United States soldier, maybe give them a break and like rotate more people in or something or make those deployments shorter. I don't know. Anyway, there's a few ways, right. But they're trying to avoid that Vietnam stigma rotating in permanent occupying force. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I disagreed with it, the whole thing, but yeah, the way we were, the way we were rotating on the army side. Yeah. 
Yeah, the yeah. Air Force kind of had it figured out. <laughs> we were for a lot sure. shorter. For sure. Uh, soft, soft and Air Force were a lot lot shorter deployments for sure. Now, yeah. I say that, but then you talk about like Army, uh, like the SF guys. I know mm. um, they would go tough, for a man. while. Yeah, they yeah. go for a long time. Yeah, fifth group was, I mean, our buddies at fifth group, they were gone. I can't remember, man. Did they do a full, they weren't doing full years. They were doing nine months, maybe. Yeah, I don't think maybe a year, were but about nine. Yeah, I think so. Six to nine, yeah. something like that. So you were, you did 10 months over there. Um, and then you came back. And yeah, I then... came back. And then I was a liaison officer for a year, which was super fun. It's probably one of my more fun jobs. Um, basically shopping air around the entire Fort Campbell base. So I went to all the infantry brigades, went to fifth group. And this is as they were creating the L and O job, they didn't know about it. So I went and talked to fifth group. I'm like, Hey, look, there's this air job that you could assign somebody to, by the way, I'm available for assignment. <laughs> <laughs> so fifth group was on, they were on board with it. And then it got kanked kind of by aviation branches of captain. They're like, you're not leaving. You're, you can't stay at Fort Campbell and go to fifth group. And you know, it's kind of this whole thing. And so right. I, I stayed, but I worked with all of the infantry brigades at Fort Campbell, which was a lot of fun. Um, you know, you're out there on the ground doing mission planning with them, ruck marching with them, you know, kind of being that person. But then, you know, when it sucked, I would just rotate and go do it. So it's kind of like being in TACP, right? You're like, <laughs> hey, I'm with you, but I'm going to go do my own thing. <laughs> right, right. So I was still flying. Got to spend a lot of time doing that stuff, uh, which was super fun. And then uh, from there, went down to Captain's Career Course, um, CRC, came back and then took command uh, of HHC because my other buddy, Bob, um, went on to do great things, Special Operations Committee. It was him and I. We were coming back together as a buddy of mine. And I'm just like, hey, look, why don't you take this assault command? Maybe I'll get one. Maybe I won't. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'll, I'll make it easy so they're not picking for us and there's no hard feelings. Bob, yep. take the assault command. I've already made the call and said they should take you. Um, so that stuck me in an HHC uh, for probably six months or so. And and then the brigade commander, you know, he, we had talked about it before. He's like, when there's flight command opening up, um, you know, you're going to get it. I'm like, okay. So nice. middle of deployment, I went from Kandahar, built Fob Shank. And then from Shank, I went over to Salerno, um, took command of the Kingsmen over there. Um, and that nice. was when... As when Bergdahl went missing. Oh, okay. So kind of your old stomping ground over at Chapman and, and yeah. that area. RTD. Yeah, I did a lot of time at Salerno, Chapman. Um, so, you know, that was, a. I mean, I say fun. You know, we were doing a lot. We were doing kind of everything in country and then um, task force was doing everything cross-border for Bergdahl. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it was constant. It, it was kind of the opposite of Iraq. It was constant assaults all the time and and then we would fly kind of battlefield circulation um but you know afghanistan i enjoyed afghanistan way more than iraq no. yeah. yeah it's probably a lot um a lot more lenient as far as like airspace like you could probably travel because i know driving around baghdad i mean it's just like a mess with all Dude, the... anybody and everybody was there afghanistan as you know it's kind of it was kind of a wild west right you're like for sure hey, we're just here to go fight this war um i you know iraq had a lot of different nuances to it uh, yeah with different government agencies um, afghanistan it was hey just get the war get the mission done it's too different iraq was a lot of like dealing with leadership battalion leadership and navigating that as mm -hmm. what kind of officer in person you're going to be because frankly they were terrible um and, and the <laughs> army rewarded them by not letting them all be brigade commanders so the, the army came back and said they were terrible 
Oh, nice. So dealing with that and, and just kind of the overwhelming side of it, you know, I had in Iraq, I had one guy uh, that came in and we were, you know, Iraq, you were always kind of getting shot at a small arms fire. We were flying, you know, 150 feet uh, off the deck. So it was low and fast and, and a lot, a lot more stressful, I think, than I realized it was. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, at the time like, you're just like, oh, whatever. It's this what this we do. Is this is what I want. And... We got to fly lower. Let's fly lower, man. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy, he comes up to me and he's like, you know, I'm new lieutenant, right? And he's a new captain, platoon leader, and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to fly anymore. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, they're shooting at us. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do, man. This is a this war. Is a, yeah, this is a war. This is the 101st. We're in a small company in platoon, man. That's, that's part of the deal. And he's like that man smoking a cigarette <laughs> never get smoking a cigarette he's like no in way it's so crazy you know, now your face you're like well how do i deal with that yeah right this guy's clearly a coward right you know do i go down this ucmj route which you know frankly you can yeah or you know which is a big deal like in a worse time situation i mean that's like it's it's not just like paperwork it, there's some really steep ramifications for like yeah, am not I gonna doing ruin your this job guy's and, life yeah i mean yeah like jail time or uh, i don't think we put people to death anymore usually but you know i mean we're talking about we're talking about you know not refusing to fight which is a big deal especially in the army i mean that's a that's a huge deal yeah i mean what'd you think you were gonna do right i know so I've, we put him on night maintenance test flights and um, we were test flying at night and i had to get him out of the unit because you can't you know, he's going to get somebody killed flying like blind scare, or he's just not going to go and we're going to be stuck on the ramp and not be able to accomplish the mission. Right. Um, so we put him on night maintenance test flights and, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that, that came with that. But that, that was kind of the, one of the things that stuck with me on that one. And then Afghanistan, there was so much packed into there. Uh, Afghanistan was different because right when Bergdahl, when that Bergdahl thing kicked off it, it changed everything the first half of afghanistan as an hhc commander had a pathfinder platoon and the battalion leadership was a little different there in rc south and you know i was again kind of almost back as an lno so i'm flying out to marine bases and on the ground you know we'd linked up with the asymmetric warfare group oh cool and so we were doing a bunch of prep and house clearing and you know kind of had written this aerial reaction force thing um, for down there, which wasn't really being done. And then we got into how we could target and, and a lot of the stuff that we were doing, you know, in, in Baghdad with the cell phone stuff. And, you know, we had mm -hmm. brought that to Southern Afghanistan and we we're trying to get our own mission set because we just weren't being utilized. And so as an HHC commander, I was focused on that, spent a lot of time, you know, with some of the, with the third group guys and, kind of plugging in and so it really i show up um at work one day and there's this big dude form former seal and he's like are you dave spanton i was like mm. <laughs> why yeah. why do you ask depends, it? man he's like well i'm so and so i'm like yeah nice to meet you so and so he's like i hear you're doing this stuff i was like uh, yeah he's like we should meet i'm like okay <laughs> so <laughs> He drug me around to ISAF headquarters and I got kind of plugged into that that other side of the ground war um, rather than just the aviation, which opened my eyes to a lot of different things. And so 
as we were preparing and I learned number one, how we were going to go do that and linked with the asymmetrical warfare group guys. And then we're, you know, down on ranges that we didn't have access to. I found some vehicle where I could drive off base. I mean, doing stuff that was not authorized by my unit. Um, <laughs> I brought a couple of guys for just kind of some additional security and they're like, yeah, where the f- are we going? I was like, yeah, yeah. Got it, man, this is we're just going out here to this thing. And they're like, oh, okay. And then the Blackwater guys show up and they're like, I mean, we need some help down on on the border and spin bulldock. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. We could probably make that happen, right? I was the yes guy that was like, yeah, we'd get some aircraft down there. We can do this. And Yeah, why not? I I found, you know, I kind of found myself having a ton of fun doing things that were well outside of my skill set that I would normally never have gotten to do as an aviator without, you know, saying yes. And so nice. um, then, Then I think our leadership... I know they got they got tired they got tired of me um, showing up with all these ideas that they couldn't really say no to because I'd gone to the ISAF folks and had it I tasked I, essentially I wrote an op order at the ISAF level to task our unit yeah to do these mission sets and so now they couldn't say no right. <laughs> and I mean I wrote the damn thing and they're they're like well we can't do that and I'm like. And, you know, it's kind of a dick about it, man. It could have been a lot different. I literally <laughs> threw, I threw the op order, tasking them to do that. And I remember he, the major, I was captain. The major's looking at, him, he's like, "That was pretty good, man." I was like, mm, "Okay." <laughs> so then they, point. they sent me up to Shank uh, to build the air base that became the biggest one in Afghanistan. I didn't know that when we were building it. Right, the ground wasn't even level. Yeah. Um, and so I spent probably two months up there, two or three months up there, you know, did you had, you had to like alone bring in, and unafraid, man. Did you have to bring in like CBs or something or like uh Corps of engineers yeah. or. So we worked with, uh, we worked with the Corps of engineers and then a bunch of TCNs. And so that was my real first interaction with TCNs and just <laughs> came out to the airfield, right in there. It, they get it leveled and I look over and on one jackhammer, they're, six guys on one jackhammer, right? One guy holding one guy on each arm like this. So there's three at the level, one guy standing on the jackhammer, right? So there's four. (laughs) And then you got two others just like holding his hand. I don't even know what the other two guys are doing. And I'm like, man, I'm with the engineer guys. I mean, I smoked a ton of cigars at that point. And uh, I'm like, Hey man, is that, is that going to work? He's like, (laughs) It's who knows man he's, he walked away um but that well know, and that for was, those who don't know tcn you mean like local guys like they were like uh local oh no no these were guys hired in from asia somewhere they were like oh, a, lot oh of, so. a lot of ties third country nationals uh, okay okay but not americans. So, not americans <laughs> by any means and uh and not know, get... qualified to use that equipment obviously holy cow man wonder, <laughs> it's a wonder we even built an airfield with those folks. Um, so, you know, did that. I mean, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I was the only guy there on base. And so the infantry guys were on the other side of base and there was a highway in between us. So it really was kind of the other side. And, not, you know, it was just me as the aviator up there responsible yeah. for this airfield. The engineers, I kind of linked with them, but they didn't have space. And so they're like, yeah, we're building this. I'm like, okay. So I had eventually a building that we had built is about the time I launched up there that had internet connectivity back to Kandahar. And I was, I was the guy that would talk back to Kandahar on building this base. And so 
you know, at midnight or 1 a.m., Chinooks would land and kick a bunch of pallets and stuff off the back. And I'm there kind of inventorying it. I'll never forget. They asked me to sign for every tent. <laughs> They're like, you're going to sign for these. I'm like, Fuck, I'm not signing <laughs> for any of that, man. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? I was like, just leave it. You know, we're, I mean, we're going to use it. And they're like, somebody's got to sign. And I'm like, you can load it back up then, man. I'm not signing. Yeah, this yeah. Midnight, midnight yelling over, you know, Chinook rotor wash. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, we get that built. And then about that time was, hey, you know, head over to, head over to Salerno, thankfully. You know, I linked with the, I think we had a, a SF guard unit that had come in and so they were the other side of Salerno so immediately linked with those guys and <clears throat> so then we had a range you know we could go shoot we could go do whatever we needed to and you know we were flying them um, daily on assaults uh, yeah both for Bergdahl and it was kind of opened the door for them to just go do a bunch of other stuff and they eventually got kind of in trouble for putting up you know con ops that were low threat and risk and the whole you know surprisingly they always had air support and gunship support and then they're getting into a tick every time and it's like eventually you know, came down on they're like hey how are you guys uncovering all of this when you're just supposed to go out on a you know a <laughs> light recon I'm like, oh, you know i don't know so they were putting up low low risk but it really probably wasn't low risk it was, um, it was direct target i mean we were going right after folks that you know they on the con op stuff is you know this is 0809 it's starting to really peel back on what you could and couldn't do. And so, you know, the, Hey, we're going to go do this and, you know, not air support, but then we're out flying anyway. They got yeah. 58s and Apaches out. So, you know, as a unit, we're just like, Hey, here's our call signs. Here's where we're going to be. And they would drive their mission windows for when they had full assault support, air support. And so, nice. you know, it's a full mission profile. Um, That's smart though, because I've talked to a bunch of guys on here and some guys work with Rangers, some guys work with SF. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, the SF guys don't get all the assets that the task force got. So, you know, having an in with a unit like yours is optimal that way, because then you have like kind of uh, in-house fire support, you know, in-house, uh, mm -hmm. you know, air assets and stuff like that. So, yeah. We were assaulting them all the time. We took the, we took the in-country Ranger mission as well from, from task force. Task force was, you know, only flying at night and only kind of cross border at the time. Uh, yeah. And, and super busy, you know, they were very not, busy. Yeah. Yeah. But they just, they don't, they didn't have enough assets for what we were doing. Right. And this is all while JBAT is going off at the FOB overrun and JBAT. And so it was, you know, it was a pretty busy time of the war in RC East. And, uh, you know, I loved it. So we're, you know, we're flying everybody from, you know, navy and standoff and you know those guys are going to walk a couple miles in and hit a target and pull them out to the rent to the rangers that want to land you know on the x and then not go yeah. anywhere you're like this is a different way to do this and then <laughs> rotating you know right to right to you know army soft um, and doing the mission profile they wanted so we got a good blend of all of it in addition to our normal conventional army infantry guys so you know the assault type was everything that you could ask for Nice. Um, and it rotated every day and multiple days you'd be doing. I remember we were flying the New England Patriot cheerleaders on a UN USO <laughs> show tour. <laughs> and it was when Bergdahl was missing. And so we're like, hey, you know, we may have to leave you guys somewhere. And so we did. And uh, we we're flying back, <laughs> kick them off, doors come off, all the heavy guns come on, all the, you know, Army soft comes on. And they're like just 
dumbfounded, like, oh, shit, there's a real war going on. <laughs> yeah. And and then, you know, we're there. It was a nine and a half hour flight day uh, oh, for us, which you're, you're limited in a combined, you're limited to six when you fly day, night, MBG. We flew day, night, MBG for nine and a half. So that was my longest flight day uh, ever yeah. with multiple extensions and, you know, flying those I was going to say, you have to call back, get a waiver and like say, yeah. hey, we're going to be out here long. Yeah, but I mean, it was, you know, that's. <laughs> when you're in the middle of a heavy fight and, and our guys, our team was in a town and we landed them on the North side and they basically pushed South. Uh, and so they were clearing, they were clearing the whole town as an ODA mm-hmm. um, looking for this dude. And, you know, we're, we're landing inside complexes We're I mean, it was, there was a lot going on that day. And uh, I remember on the first, I saw this flying with Paul Cahill, a good buddy of mine. And, uh, and we land get out of there spend a whole day we're flying back and he's you know he's exhausted he's like hey man i'm gonna i'm gonna close my eyes for a few minutes it's like what <laughs> he just in the as we're flying back to salerno boom just out for like 10 or 15 minutes of sleep and uh, he wakes up and i've never let him forget you know the night that i saved his life i was like remember that man you just fell asleep in the middle of war zone he's like oh man i was tired <laughs> I can vouch. I can. Uh, I can vouch for that, man. I could say I'm, oh, yeah. there's been times when you just, you're just out there on target and you're just like exhausted, and mm-hmm. you know you're just like, man, if I could just get a few Z's here, it'd be great. Just a little recharge, you know. I fell asleep in Iraq on the controls, 150 yeah. feet from flying with Kane Van Buren. He's like, I mean, I'm dozing, right? I'm dozing, and he's. I finally look over, and he's like, Yeah, I was like, You got controls, man. <laughs> But it's funny. It, it's funny, but it's also kind of a testament to, like, we, I was talking uh, to uh, my buddy Brandon Temple about he was in the Navy, and but it's it's like we we push, we expect people to be pushed so hard, but to what end? You know, like, can is it really a good idea to push people that hard? You know, like, yeah, we all mm-hmm. think we're hard and we all can do it, and we're all, but at the end of the day you know, is it good? Is that a good idea? You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, your guys are kind of lucky that a mishap didn't occur. You know what I mean? Or something, you know, yeah, you had another We're not guy. Lucky, brother. That's training. That's training. <laughs> yeah, we trained exactly. for that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, we're, um, yeah, we are very lucky. Right. It, yeah. it is, and then it also comes down to decision-making, right? It's a unit that hasn't been in that constant deployment cycle, a unit that maybe isn't trained to, to recognize that. Right. Thank God Paul said, Hey man, you got controls. Yeah. Um, like he, know, he took the precautions before he just right. kind of, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's crazy. So, what, yeah. so whatever happened with Bergdahl, I don't, I didn't, I didn't follow the story. I know somebody I, found him. So you guys yeah. were like actively just going out, looking for him, clearing buildings, that kind of well, thing. Well, they, so they, when they would get an Intel ping on where he was and we were always just behind him. Right. And then he ends up in Pakistan. And so being in Salerno, they took him through our area. Okay. Um, and, and he walked off the fob in our AO. Oh. So, you know, we know we were flying that unit all the time. The commander was a buddy of mine, um, you know, and so when he went missing, uh, once they knew he was over the border, you know, that kind of changed things. Eventually they got him back. I can't remember. It's three or five years um, that he was a prisoner over there. Yeah. 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 I didn't follow this story very much. Um, so we did a prisoner exchange for him some years later. Yeah. Got, got did he, back. but it wasn't it like, um, 
like he didn't he voluntarily do it or what when there's some there's some stigma yeah. there's some something about the, kind it. of the big once over the world there's a great podcast on it um on serial they did a 10 episode and it was great um so oh, if anybody's okay. interested check that out but the big thing is he was kicked out of the navy in basic training because he wasn't mentally able to process basic training then the army recruiter lied on his application that he was mentally fit he comes into the army goes overseas shocking oh, he has okay. a mental he has a mental issue he yeah. thought his he thought his battalion leadership was so terrible that they were going to get people killed so his way to validate that was to create this dust one uh situation duty status whereabouts unknown and he did that it, well it oh, didn't okay. work out for him so he had like i think it was 26 miles or some shit he kind of calculated what he was going to be able to do and navigate at night and he made it like a mile or three something like that gets picked up and, and then he's this did not work out the way he planned. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. Right. Shocking. And so, yeah. you know, somebody mentally unfit makes a poor decision and creates a situation. Anything else you want to talk about OEF? Like any other things that stand out or I don't know, you know, on that, that's all that I was talking about with Paul, I guess a good example, right. Is, you know, you know, you're getting small arms fire and, and that's fine. But then, you know, we're high five and, the green berets a couple of days later, I think we were eating chow or something. And, and my buddy Phil's like, he was their NCOIC, their medic, he's or NCOIC on, I guess their Delta. And uh, he's like, man, I knew you guys were okay on kind of that first mission. I was like, Oh yeah, why is that? He's like, man, when you landed and we were assaulting that town, I was like, yeah, it was all day. He's like one, you were there all day too, man. That RPG went right between your two aircraft when you were landing. Oh my God. See, that's what you're I'm like, talking about. You're like, like what? what? <laughs> and he didn't like, notice he's like yeah man that was awesome it hit the wall like, I was like man no i don't he's like you didn't know it. dude when you're putting twenty thousand pounds on the ground like you just assume that stuff's happening and, and you're just focused on making the landing safely right yeah and i said i you know no yeah i know that happened but i'll take it he's like oh yeah man that was awesome was like, okay <laughs> <laughs> he thought he thought you were some kind of hero like just like blowing it off like there yeah, i was man inverted air medals air medals dangling in my face right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah man, I have off, like yeah but yeah i mean I, I guess for an aviator that kind of stuff is just that's that's what you do i mean that's inherent in your job you know if you yeah. kind of like that guy I was talking about like the, the guy who didn't want to fly that's what how they prepare you for that i mean that's what you're that's your whole job mm -hmm. is to fly into a place where it's, it's hot. It's, you know, there's people shooting to get people in and out. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of army aviation, essentially, especially like an assault force, like you guys were. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, that, that's it, right. We're, you know, it's, it's when you start, okay. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's like kind of story after story. You're like, oh, man, I, I don't, you know, I never thought we were going to die. Why would you? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but when you start peeling it back, you're like, yeah, man, man that was a little bit closer than I maybe thought, thought it was going to be. Yeah, um, I remember I was sitting in the back with the Pathfinder team. We had an ODA that had a vehicle blown up and they wanted to recover it. And they were like in the middle of nowhere. Nobody could get to them. So we took a couple, we took a Chinook out, a couple of Hawks. And I was with the Pathfinder team recovering. So we, we hooked it up. We were sling loading it back and pulling the ODA out. And the sling load was under the Chinook. We were in the Hawk. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm sitting in the back, kind of racking out, going to sleep, you hear this boom, boom, boom. And in my mind, it was, I was just in that like first layer of sleep and it was a bazooka Joe, like the gum 
where you see those bright flashes. Yeah. Right? I'm like, man, what is this? Right. I'm like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, shit, hold on. I'm in an aircraft. And I look over and there's, you know, a, a four barrel ZSU or whatever it was just lighting us up, just oh absolutely God. confirmed. And I'm like, I'm hitting the, we had the doors closed. I'm hitting the gunner and trying to get him out there. And the, the, the crew chief was a buddy of mine. Um, he, he was in my platoon when I was a platoon leader. And so, you know, you see that and it is like directed right at us, probably behind us, but I'm trying to get them to shoot and they never saw it. Oh right. God. So on their report, when they get back that day, you know, they've got headset on there, you know, doing the aviation thing. They don't hear it and they don't see it. And, and number one, it was, you know, just right at us. And so, you know, I think there's, just story after story of folks doing that and on the infantry side as well right we're sure yeah yeah different than anybody else well yeah i mean it's i mean that's a good point you don't really because you guys are i mean you got the helmet on you got the ear pro in you got camo going through your headset you know you're focused on flying a zsu that it's that you can you you wouldn't even notice it that's like mm -hmm. one of those things that you that's that's such great about army aviation any aviation really but especially like army aviation that does these kind of missions is that those types of things are part of the day, you know, just part of the mission. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you have to accept that stuff. And, and hopefully, you know, the, the gunner is sucks and he can't shoot very well. You know, that's mm -hmm. what you guys do is, you know, you fly into those situations and once in a while it, it happens and, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's the job. That's a dangerous job, man. It's just, <laughs> because, because you're kind of a sitting duck. You don't know. Right. You don't, yeah, know. right. You yeah. don't get when you come you. into that HLZ, I mean, that you're, you're essentially, you like you said focusing on landing this aircraft not whatever is going around you i mean that's kind of like the door gunner's job but he's also looking to make sure there's no obstructions make sure you know the ground is coming up at you know i mean he's helping you mm -hmm. out trying to land as well so you know, we were trying to grab this guy who um we ended up grabbing quite a few of the high value targets in that area just you know probably by chance or, or just in the right spot at the right time or sure and willing to go do, go do shit we shouldn't be doing right but uh we almost landed on this dude and we were going to shoot him we wanted to grab him so we didn't shoot him i mean like i'm in in the goggles and i'm seeing his face as we're landing on this guy <laughs> and uh we land the assault force pops out and then they shoot him and we're like well, i guess we could have ended that a lot sooner and yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but we had hopped them a couple times going after this guy uh -huh. and uh you know then we had to grab he just kept him running away yeah we had to grab him bring him back and they got a ton of intel off of him and so nice. you know had we just shot him and left him you know, you're not grabbing that intel, but yeah, know, for sure. We'd grab them off the battlefield and you know, nice. It all works out. If I'm riding in a helicopter or an aircraft or anything, and there's anybody shooting at all, I'm, I feel helpless. You know, I feel like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, this is sucks. I don't, you know, I don't like yeah. any of it. Um, yeah. But you guys, like I said, you, you, that's a, that's a part of your job. You know, there's always somebody that's done more. Right. So I'm certainly mm -hmm. not like, Hey, we did this, but my buddy Bob up in, you know, Northern Afghanistan, they were, you know, fights daily or you get up in, in Salerno or up in JBAD and, you know, those guys are, you know, getting fob overrun and the super heavy yeah. contact. And so, you know, I think the difference in at least our unit at the time and that time frame was, you know, Iraq was the height of the combat was 06. Right. And then we surged. And so that was my experience was, unknowingly at the time oh okay this is how it is and then afghanistan was 0809 high to combat yeah, yeah and so you look at the daily engagements and throughout the year and you know you find yourself in these you know kind of historic situations and you don't really notice it at the time right was for it, sure 
Oh, yeah. oh man, I'm Billy Badass. I'm gonna go. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go do this. You're like, I just showed up, man, and like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, we did this one wheel resupply for a unit that was in contact for three days, and the rain's coming down, and you've got a low visibility ceiling, and you fly basically up to land on this pinnacle, and you're just one side is you know a thousand foot drop off, and the other side is just ammo resupply, and then you give them a thumbs up and you fly off, and you know they're stuck with a shitty situation. Yeah. Or however much longer they're out there until we resupply. And, you know, we're back, you know, at Salerno sleeping in our bed that night. Oh, right, um, right. So, you know, it's a, it's definitely a, a different situation, I think, than the, a lot of the infantry guys. Now, you know, we're with those guys. And then an hour later, maybe those guys are not in contact. And the next hour we're over in contact in a different valley. Right. And then we're over here and, you know, we're relaxed. And then now it's, you know, on the flight back, we're in heavy contact. So I think that's the difference in really that kind of assault platform is, you know, the task force guys, they're, they're going after a specific target mission. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're kind of in this limbo land of you got to move stuff around and then you got to go support that. And so it leaves this constant in and out of, of, you know, battle. And so, you know, was there, you know, one situation that you're like, this one is it, buddy. No, man, but it's just it was kind of happens, all like that. You know? They all yeah. they all kind of run together because it's all again, like you said, you did a lot of daytime stuff, which I I rarely went out during the day. I mean, I you know I I was mostly nighttime stuff, which is well, easier. we had we we were twenty four seven, so I just happened as a commander as daytime, and we had our our night folks. So they were oh. we were assaulting at night just as much. But as we were I guess I get I guess I didn't mean to say you were only day. I meant like you do day stuff, like like we don't we didn't do yeah. any daytime stuff. Yeah. But you you yeah. had that you you didn't get to like just take the days off and like work at night where it was kind of a little bit safer and mm-hmm. you know um yeah daytime you're just kind of out there flapping and like the, yeah, it's that, different yeah it, i mean it's that's totally different man like <laughs> when you're doing a daytime assault versus a nighttime assault uh, i mean you you know you're watching it unfold yeah and and, and nighttime you know you could you get the big IR beam on the town and just fly to that. Not that it's easier by any means. I mean, it's way more technical demanding, especially on For the sure. ground out. You know, thankfully we had the new Mike model aircraft, which, you know, is a glass cockpit. And, you know, there are times you brown out and in a Lima, it may have been a crash and had folks die with that that are friends of mine. And that Mike model, you know, you can hit a button and it's going to stabilize and then you can lower, um, lower yourself down in the middle of a brownout uh, nice. at night. So, it, you know, that really, I think, reduced the workload for us completely. So you, the danger went from the enemy shooting at you during the day to the inherent danger of flying at night with a, you know, with the limited, limited uh, visibility and that kind of thing. So. So it was, it's kind of like, frankly, it was a dangerous job either way you, you do it, man. I'm telling you, I got a lot of respect for you guys, man. I mean, that's that, that job that just because unless you are a gunship, you're essentially relying on those door gunners to run defense for you. And a lot of times that's I mean, that's a tough gun to to wield. I mean, you to, yeah. I mean, it's not like an accurate weapon. It's an area weapon. So if you, if somebody is shooting at you or, you know, if somebody's shooting from behind or for, from the front, I mean, it's, you guys are kind of very vulnerable, I would say, you know what I mean? Yeah. Speed is our friend, right? For sure. You know, it's yeah. pretty hard to, to hit us with small arms. And that's why we were at a thousand feet in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, we changed it up because small arms was the main issue there. They didn't have all the SA systems. And so, okay, at a thousand feet, you're, you're really out of effective range for small sure. arms. 
uh, when you're coming in on the assault, that's a little bit different. It's a little more direct, but you know, you don't have a choice. Yeah. Okay. Cause you did the one, one rotation in OIF, one rotation in OEF, mm-hmm. and then you rotated back and did, and then what you made the decision to do what after that? And when I was in OEF, um, I applied for this congressional fellowship program. It just looked cool. I was like, man, I've been to DC once and man, you, you know, from small farm town, right? You didn't yeah, go right. through this stuff. Yeah. And so I didn't even think it was an option, but I'm like, okay, I could go um, assess again at Fort Campbell. I can go to apply for this thing. And so I applied and unbeknownst to me, um, our brigade commander ended up becoming a three-star. And so I had no clue right, right at that level. I'm just like, Hey, says I need to put two letters of recommendation in. So I wrote my application, two letters of recommendation, and I forgot about it. Yeah. And I tried to get out. I was going to get out and I went to Michigan and interviewed for a job up there flying counter drug. And, you know, basically the battalion commander and the major were in a pissing contest. And, and I think I remember you talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I leave there thinking it's a shoe in for the job. He's like, Hey man, you, we're getting mic models. We need this. You're the guy. I'm like, okay. He's like, would you come up from Fort Campbell for this interview? I'm like, yeah, I'll drive up. So I drive up and, and the battalion commander leads off with, I don't know why you're here. I'm like, uh, you, you guys asked me to, you guys asked me to come up here. I, for what? Yeah. And I'm like, for command of your counter drug unit, like, sir, I didn't, I drove eight and a half hours to come up here for this. I didn't just magically show up here. It's <laughs> right. my understanding you wanted to meet with me. Nope. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is going well. So I leave there thinking it looks like I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right. And as yeah. I'm an hour outside of that, driving back to uh, Jessica's house and uh, I get a call that says, you've been accepted to the congressional fellowship. And I'm like, well, I guess we're going to DC. I didn't have anything else to do. And so, nice. Um, went to DC. They sent me to George Washington university master's degree. Um, you know, I went to Southern Illinois, man. I didn't think I was ready for <laughs> George Washington. And, right. uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. Show up, you know, it was a couple months later we moved and got married and then moved to DC and, and, uh, I guess I there. didn't know that timeline. Yeah. So she, you guys weren't married, but you got married before you went to DC mm-hmm. and that was kind of like your, okay. Yeah. yeah. We, we drove from the wedding. We stopped in Florida, drove back to Nashville, ran a half marathon in Nashville en route to DC and then showed up, you know, a week later and, uh, started the fellowship you know what i that when you said nashville that sparked something before we get too far into this dc story go tell me about um that time in clarksville i think it was in clarksville where you helped those cops find that guy (laughs) you want to talk about that i love this story this is like one of my favorite stories i mean go ahead yeah uh Go so, finish, like, you're talking how, about that, dr- you... that drug dealer. Yeah. So yeah, man, when you ran um, down, so when I was in LNO working with all those infantry units, you know, in college, I did a bunch of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts. And so I'd started going to this, um, jiu-jitsu studio in downtown Clarksville and I was leaving work and I was driving by there. So I was dressed like that in flip-flops <laughs> and I'm driving by the squad car and I happened to look over and, uh, the, the doors open. It just didn't look right. Right. The doors open, the lights are going off and this cop is running. And so I pull over. I'm in the, I had a black Tahoe at the time and uh, this was 07 and I pull over and the guy's like, you know, waves me on. I was like, no, 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 man, just, just hop in. He's like, what? I was like, 
I'm in the army, man. Just jump in. So he just jumps in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We haul after the wood line. This wood line is about 50 yards up and he gets out. He's like, thanks, man. I was like, what are you looking for? He's like, you know, some guy. I'm like, okay. So this wood line, I knew the area. I lived over there. And so this wood line goes down about a hundred yards to the left. So I just slowly drive over there and I get to the end and this, this kid pops up. I'm like, oh, that's him. So I just turn around, don't, you know, act like nothing happened. I just turn around. He stays there. And then I go back to where there's now two cops. And so these guys pop out of the wood line and I wave them. And so they hop back in <laughs> and we're like, they think I'm a cop. Right. And so we haul ass down to where this kid is. I'm like, he's right there. I just saw him. And so they're like, thanks. So they get out and I walk to the back of the, of the car and I put on my running shoes and, um, they take off over this field and I take off in my Tahoe and it's like, dude, it's way too, way too rutted. Um, yeah. And Yo, so you drive I, to the field. <laughs> yeah. So I like turn around, they follow him. I go out to the road and this road that kind of parallels and it's like a strip mall after strip mall. So I haul ass, I pass another squad car. I'm doing like 60 or 70. I pass him and then I turn in. And he, I think, ended up going further down. So I turn in, and now it's probably 150 yards back to where they're running behind the strip mall. And so I pull up, and these two guys are just, I mean, they got all their shit on. They just wave me up to this guy, right? So <laughs> They're like, you're up. in it now. Help. I, yeah. Keep helping. So pull in, and now I'm going way too fast or on gravel. So try to stop and just slide for a while. I'm like, uh-oh get stopped so this kid's now probably 50 yards up so i just get out and run and chase him down tackle him, right <laughs> right he hops a fence i hop a fence bam we meet and uh get him down and yeah a little bit of a scuffle at the ground bottom line i end up getting his hands behind his back nice. by the time everybody gets there he's bloody hands are behind his back the squad car i had passed had come up and he rolls out with a shotgun on this kid and these two cops, so we're all high-fiving afterwards, man. <laughs> all right, got this guy, right? And I'm like, hey, man, you guys need my name for a report? And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, man, I'm not a cop. And they're like, what? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, that was an army guy, man. I saw you guys running, and this one dude's like, yeah, man, we'll take your name, right? I was like, all right. So I get their info. You know, we high-five. It's about 10, 15 minutes. We talk. They you know, I find out, Hey, this guy's been dealing drugs. Okay. Hey, they get drugs off of him. Okay. So I call him, uh, you know, a week or two later and kind of find out, you know, what they end up booking this kid for. But, uh, did you yeah, ever have to, like, go to court or anything or did you have to like, I, do oh, those else? guys didn't turn my name in for anything. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm a, I mean, I don't know Nothing. how embarrassing it'd be. It might be a little embarrassing for them. They're like some <laughs> civilian just jumped out of his truck and just <laughs> chased this guy down. Yeah, man. They oh, were, I love that story, man. They I could not, it. It was like they were running in slow-mo, man. These guys are running, they're exhausted, and they just never gained on him, right? Yeah, yeah. Some dudes, well, yeah, fresh, they had the, no kit on, you know. They had all the gear on, and they, you yeah. know, I mean, who knows how, you know, Clarksville cops, I don't know if they have a good PT program or, you know, if it's, yeah, you know, These guys were in decent shape, right? They weren't okay. super overweight. But, yeah, okay. it's all their gear, dude. They're not Still, yeah, shoes. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty fun, man. <laughs> good Samaritan out there doing doing the Lord's work. My wife's like, what if he would have shot you or had a knife? I was like, oh, man, I don't really think yeah. about that. And that that's a perfect segue from your flight days into this. It's like you just, you get in your helicopter, you go out these missions, you fly, you don't think about the small arms fire or the, you know, all that stuff. And same thing with here. You're just like, this needed to get Idiot. done. 
this guy was, uh, I wouldn't say an idiot. Like, <laughs> it's commendable, man. That's good. Uh, so funny. So, okay. So back to DC. So you go to DC, you do the fellowship, you get your master's in, um, uh, what was it? Legislative affairs. Legislative affairs. Okay. Yep. Then end up on the Hill, man. And this, like I am, I, I ended up doing pretty well and that's how I got in the chairman's office. But when I showed up, man, it was rough, dude. I remember the first time, like I had to go to Jose bank and, you know, buy the three for one suit deal and you show up and you're like, <laughs> right. okay. And I'm at this, I'm at this table, this round table, it was like 10 or 12 people. And we got people from every agency doing the fellowship thing. And uh, it's in the Capitol and there's like a presenter and then they bring you together for this lunch. Right. And I mean, I am rolling out of Afghanistan six months earlier. I'm in command. And yeah. now I'm at this luncheon in DC at this table. And dude, I, I went to, I didn't think I'd opened the, the mustard packet or the mayonnaise packet, the mayonnaise packet, but yeah. apparently at these nights, they had pre-opened these things. Okay. All right. <laughs> so it's this round table, everybody's in a suit and I'm, you know, trying to shake the mayonnaise <laughs> to the end of, end of the packet to then open it. Yeah. And, and I look over to my right after like the table's all staring at me horrified. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And I look over and this dude's like, just taking mustard or mayonnaise all over. Right. <laughs> and so rather than just be like, oh man, I'm sorry. No, 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 man. What's this guy do? I go, oh, <laughs> like super loud. So now the whole room is staring at me. <laughs> and this dude is covered in mayonnaise. <laughs> so he gets out, he goes to the bathroom. I look at a buddy of mine, two seats down. I'm like, and he just shakes his head. He's like, This guy's not gonna make it. Hell yeah, man. I was like, Oh man. <laughs> so I go down to the bathroom. The guy's pissed. I'm like, hey man, I'll you know, I'll buy you a new suit if I need to. Here, you know, here's my card. I like, and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. you know, I got nothing to say other than I'm sorry, I'll pay for the damage. <laughs> right, right. So we sit back down and it's like crickets in there. Everybody's <laughs> just staring at me. I'm like, I don't know why they put me in the chairman's office, but they did. <laughs> it went from that to, yeah, this guy would be really good in the chairman's yeah, office. Hey, this is where this is the guy we need, right? And uh, yeah, and that so was then, uh, who was the chairman at that time? Buck McKeon. Uh, Buck McKeon, right, right. Republicans just taking control of the house. So he was a new chairman. We had a new speaker. Boehner just taken over as speaker. Um, Kevin McCarthy had just come in as the whip at the time. And so it was kind of this new Republican leadership. And, and I found myself in the middle of it Yeah. Um, with, with Buck, who was 72 at the time. And so, you know, one of the things he had was this unmanned systems caucus, the UAV caucus. Mm. And the guys that I left, a guy named Andy Graham was a Marine Corps helicopter pilot. He was the fellow before me, and he worked for a guy named Ryan Crumpler, both still buddies of mine. Crumpler was going to the committee, and he's like, hey, your hook is the UAV caucus, man. Buck wants to grow this unmanned systems caucus. Here's what we've done. I'm like, okay. And so we just had taken over as a chairman. And so I went, I pulled the defense committee, which is like 62 or 64 members at the time. And I'm like, how am I going to grow this caucus from 20? And so I took a one page printout of the unmanned systems caucus and I just walked the hall and went to every congressional office, Republican and Democrat that was on the defense committee. And I'm like, they're going to want something from my boss. You know, they're going to want something from the chairman. This is their chance to go to the chairman and be like, Hey, a good thing. 
And so yeah, I yeah. just went, I went to all of them. I met with all of their military folks and I was like, Hey, here's our UAV caucus. The chairman would really love you to consider joining. And so, you know, they don't want to say no. Yeah. Yeah. And so after like, it's hard to week, say no when someone is like right in your face, like, right. Like yeah. yeah. And an email and, can be deleted, you know, uh, and a you're note gonna can want be crumpled something up. from the chairman, right? You yeah. are going to, you want to sell you say yes so that you can ask him for something. Right. Right. And I'm like, okay. And so we roll out of there in a week and a half into that, uh, Buck comes up to me and he's like, Hey, where's Dave at? Right there. I'm like, Oh yes, sir. What's <laughs> up? And you know, I talked to him twice. And uh, at that point, and he's like, I've got all kinds of people coming up to me on the floor, joining my caucus. I'm like, Oh yeah. He's like, what are you doing? I kind of laid it out. He's like, okay. And so that's never it, been done right? before. No, it hadn't. And, and they had done great things before it just, he wasn't the chairman. So you didn't have that leverage on people. Right. Right. Um, and so we, you know, we, we got that role in and we were the ones that ended up writing the legislation to a, allow UAVs to fly in the national airspace at the time. The FAA came to us like a 10 year roadmap and you could law enforcement agencies couldn't even launch something over a fence to just see like SWAT couldn't do that. You down at the really? border. Like I ended up working with all the guys down on the border. They couldn't fly anything. Um, and so it was fun to, actually be in the legislative process and draft that legislation that allows, you know, these cameras, right? Everybody's, you see these cameras flying above big venues, couldn't happen without the legislation we passed. And there's a, a lot of folks involved in that. And it's not certainly all me. Um, but you're instrumental because you took the, you had the initiative to took, do that legwork. I mean, that's, and that's essentially what it is. I mean, if you, if you want something done, I mean, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And if you don't get out there and, and do the work, it's just going to die on the vine. So, yeah, I mean, you're that, totally instrumental in that for sure. The FAA was like four buildings down from the Rayburn office building. Yeah. And so they hated that because we, <laughs> we'd call them in. They gave us a plan. And we're like, no, no, we'll just walk down to you like the next month. Or I wouldn't touch it for a month. And we walked down there. We're like, no, we'll come to you. They're like, no, that's not really necessary. We're like, we're happy to do it. <laughs> so, so we would just, we basically beat them down, right? Just they yeah. just got tired of us. They, we beat them down. And then we we ended up getting some legislation and a transportation bill. Um, nice, but it was super fun. It was a great experience. Um, you know, all the folks that were on our committee really supported supported my learning and included me in things that I would have otherwise not been in. Yeah. Buck liked to go to the floor, um, and he wanted uh, our main legislative assistant to go with him, and he went to probably eighty percent of the votes. But I got to go to the other. 20 that you know morally couldn't cover and so i spent a lot of time on the house floor uh, nice you know just interacting and it's a once in a lifetime experience you know yeah you know, being in those halls uh, got to know kevin mccarthy back then his district bordered our district and he had some folks we work with his defense folks and traveled a little bit with him and then he came and taught a class at gw and um, it was kind of the right mix for me we had a class that was taught by adrian smith a house member from nebraska Mm -hmm. was on ways and means committee and so you know i see him there and i know his chief of staff is in the food industry uh, used to be in the food industry so we knew some people he went to school in champaign illinois oh, and nice. so kind of a, a history there and so then i see him on the floor right because now i'm different than everybody in class i'm on the floor and i'm like hey what's up adrian he's like dave what are you doing he's like now well, you know with buck and he's like okay so now i introduce him to the chairman um, and then McCarthy, kind of the same deal. He came and taught a class and, you know, we had kind of seen each other and knew the staff. And then for whatever reason, like the next day from teaching the class, he's on the floor and I'm on the floor. 
And so we got to interact there and it was just, you know, it was a great opportunity, you know, and I saw him some years later, um, 2018 or 19, I think at an event. And, uh, he's like, Hey, what, what are you doing? Like Dave Spence. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you used to work for Buck. I was like, I did. <laughs> um, and so we got to kind of catch up again and, you know, it was, nice. it was very interesting. And, and all the staff members that, that kind of opened their door for me to experience that. Yeah. Such a unique situation. Like, you know, obviously not every, very few people get in that situation, especially being mm-hmm. in school and being able to go down on the floor and not get that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then I joined, the thing I did was join army Navy country club and uh, I wanted to golf. Buck was a golfer. He wasn't a member there. And it was, you know, it's a little more expensive than I wanted. I think it was a couple grand. And, uh, but that membership allowed me to golf a bunch. And yeah. so we got into that mix of folks that like to golf. And then when I go to the Pentagon and you're going now, just not only Hask, but Sask, well, the Hask guys I knew and, and, you know, I can at least get a meeting with them if I needed to and understand yeah. that process better than most people in the army at the time, um, having just come from there. So, you know, I would get a phone call on like a Wednesday and they're like, Hey, you know, Dave, are you available to golf on Friday or Thursday? A chairman would like to play army Navy. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Let me you know, schedule it. And so my time in the Pentagon was spent golfing with staffers and, <laughs> you know, doing legislative work outside of the basement of the Pentagon or the first floor. Yeah. Um, and so I was very fortunate um, in that, in that respect as well, just kind of worked out with that group of folks that we had at the time. So, and aside from golfing, what would, what was the Pentagon job? What were you doing there? I was the, um, what was my title? I was the soldier portfolio hog. So it, you're responsible for going to the house and Senate authorization committees and getting a hundred percent budget authorizations. When you see the defense bill, it's authorized and appropriated. I was responsible for the authorization of my portfolio, um, which was basically JLTV, so joint like tactical vehicle, and yep. below. So anything a soldier touched, whether it was parachutes, whether it was um, we had the big body armor debate at the time. The Army was doing the small arms um, recompete for both the rifle and the pistol. Yep. All of that stuff was my portfolio. So I got to travel to. I'm a ton to Fort Bragg, went to Fort Benning, meeting with leadership at both USASOC, you know, Army Conventional, going up to Natick for soldier systems, um, working with Daniel Defense and got to know Marty Daniel and anybody in that space that was, you know, on contract for the Army or wanted to be um, was what I worked, worked with a bunch of lobbyists that were, you know, paid for by industry. And so, seeing what the Hill wanted, what the army wanted, what industry wanted, and kind of balancing all of those yeah. um, to, to get, at the end of the day, I was responsible for doing what the army wanted, but you have to understand where everybody's coming from in that discussion to navigate through what the army wants. We had one staffer on the Senate that you know, basically hated what the army did and had his own view of it and, and wanted to push us somewhere. And we're like, well, look, the gun is one thing, but you have to look at the ammunition. And so we were able to kind of show through you know, classified tours and different things, both the delivery system and and the delivery implement being the round, what the lethality of those are and and why one doesn't necessarily mean the other. Right. Um, yeah. And so did a ton of congressional travel. Your three main things when you're in that office are budget authorization, but it's also congressional travel for members and staff and then preparing generals for congressional testimony. Um, 
I remember, man, the travel, I never got to go overseas in that role. I'd planned a couple trips. I'd planned this awesome like five country tour with probably half a dozen members. Um, and it, we were going to go to Germany, Israel, uh, a couple other countries all right. And it was going to, it was going to be phenomenal tour, um, for, for my portfolio. Yeah. And it's planned a week and a half from executing and I get pulled. And then, and you basically, and, and this happened, you just hand your trip to somebody else. You're like, that trip goes, enjoy it. Right. <laughs> so I hand that and the to guy. Brad. Is, was, was he prepared? I mean, the next guy or. Yeah. Yeah. He's, oh. he's like, I said, Hey, it's all, it's all playing. You just got to show up. Here's my ticket, you know, get on okay. the flight. Here you go. And, uh, I got pulled from that to go back to Afghanistan. We were going to do Thanksgiving in Afghanistan, uh, with the chairman, uh, Alan West and a couple other members. Um, and I'm like, okay, you know, that that's worth getting, that's worth getting. Oh, for sure. Trip for. So then I hurry up, plan that trip. All right. Plan that trip. Ready to go. The morning that we go to leave is when Libya happens. Oh, so that put a hold so, on that. So we're like an hour from the flight. I'm in the Pentagon and it's, you know, everything's blowing up, right? Like this had just, it had just gone down. So we're on the phone with, you know, SOCOM, we're talking to the agency, we're talking to kind of every player in the space because they know our trip. Like we just, you know, when you're bringing that kind of seniority into theater, it touches kind of everybody. Sure. And, uh, you know, there was a, there was a staff member that called and he's like, well, do you think it's safe? I'm like, man, I said, I just lived there for a year. Yeah. <laughs> said, yeah, it's safe, right? Like we, we should go on this trip. There's no reason in our country, in our theater, why we can't go. Right. You know, there's, I, everybody I've talked to said we can't go. He's like, well, I just got a phone with the agency and the agency said we don't go. And I'm like, they're going to say that we don't go because they're trying to fix that situation. But that doesn't, you know, it's two different areas here. A very, very different areas. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's like you're going so, right next door. And so that trip got canceled. Dang. So I'm like, <laughs> ah. Meanwhile, the other trip is going on and you could have just gone on that. Oh yeah. It's like three days in and I'm like, okay. So, yeah. So um, you're at the Pentagon. How, and then, so tell me about that transition from, so you're still active duty at the Pentagon. And then what made yep. your decision to go from the Pentagon to the guard? You went to the guard after that. Is that right? Nope. I went to the acquisition Corps, Huntsville, Alabama for two oh, years. Oh, okay. Yep. yep. That's right. Um, you, you know, I just didn't, from the perspective that I'd had, I didn't want to go back to an operational unit. Um, mm -hmm. I remember I was talking to Alan West about this and he said, if you go to the acquisition Corps, you'll get out of the army. And I didn't, I didn't really believe him. And lo and behold, I get out of the army. Right yeah <laughs> and um you know it was more it was more enticing it was everything that i had just done and i applied and i had had you know at this point i kind of figured out the process a little bit and i'd had a three-star that wrote a letter and i apply and i don't get in i'm like hmm, okay well not meant to be right 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 and i had talked to our two-star about it and he wasn't a fan but then i said hey i still would like to play he's like this is gonna injure you know kind of back to that, this is gonna end it i'm like okay well i everybody's trying hey, to I, talk you out of it like kind of like we talked about in the beginning yeah. of this thing yeah somebody's like, talking you in this guy's talking you out you're like That's yeah it. yeah yeah so i go to him and i'm like you know hey i didn't get picked up and he's like oh okay 
what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, I'm not going to reapply, right? I'm just going to kind of accept it and go from there. Well, then the HRC guys call me, right? Because the three-star who had written my letter, he's like, hey, what's up with this? Because I saw him pretty routinely for the, for working on the Hill. Yeah. He's like, hey, what's up with this? I was like, hey, I didn't get in. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, n- not a big deal. Hey, I, you know, it's, understand everybody's got requirements. And he's like, oh, okay. So the HRC guys call me. They're like, hey, we made a mistake. You know, basically your packet got filtered out. It didn't even get looked at. I'm like, hmm, okay. And they're like, well, we'd like you to reapply. I said, hey, I just, just told this two-star, I'm not going to reapply. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. You didn't, you weren't like, like very passionate about it. It was like something you wanted to do, but it wasn't like. Right. Hey, clearly it's not meant to be. Right. So, so they're like, okay, well, I said, look, if you're going to just take an, you know, off cycle, look at it, you know, fine, but I'm not going to reapply and go through the process. Well, they did. And I, I get accepted. Okay. So then I'm on travel while all this comes out, my OER is going in to this two star and, you know, Colonel's like, Hey, looking at, Hey, Dave's going to go do this. And this guy's like, Oh, he lied to me. He said he wasn't going to reapply. I'm like, so they're oh. frantically calling me, right? I got a you know one-year-old at the house and I'm like, that's not what happened. Hey, this, and like, it was the first time where they didn't care. The, the truth didn't matter, right? Yeah. How it all went down didn't matter. And I, I just remember like, wow, okay. You go from, you know, chairman's office doing well, it's hard, you know, I was a captain at the time, it's, then I'm in the Pentagon and most everybody's major lieutenant colonel. I'm still a captain. I ended up getting picked up, but you go from doing well to like, all of a sudden you're a liar. Yeah. And you're like, what? That's literally what's trying it's to all a misunderstanding. Nobody's even interested in the truth. You know, yeah, Hey, don't even give me a chance. Nope. Well, how'd this happen? You're like, well, it's clear how this happened. Right. Like, right. Right. Here's what I said. And Okay. Uh, but so that was kind of my, that was how I ended up departing. I was, I was leaving the Pentagon anyway, but that was like the last week or two. I was like, ah, oh, that's a bummer. Okay. End of my career, bad OER, not bad OER, but not where it could have been. And then, you know, go, go to Huntsville. Everything went fine there. And yeah. lo and behold, the Hask is traveling to Huntsville to authorize what we're doing. And I show up and, you know, we do okay there. Um, Wait, so hold on. So, so you're at the Pentagon, you you at, you apply for the acquisitions job. They say they they don't even look at your packet. You a, don't get it. It's a functional area, yeah. So I went from being an aviator to then being an acquisition guy. Okay, so then the two stars like, hey, you didn't get. You say I didn't get in, and he's like, so did he do something to help out, or did it just no? It just they come it back just, around. It goes up to HRC, and and HRC is a standalone island. We're not a lot of things can impact that and so what's know, hrc their, uh human resources center so i gotcha you know the personnel folks and so gotcha. they went back to the board and said hey this guy has a letter that would qualify him and and we didn't give it a fair look let's give it a fair look and so then i get then i become an acquisition guy i guess i i'm i'm wondering why that guy got so butthurt about you he taking the I job lied to him he thought I lied to him. And so he was, that doesn't even make sense. I, why, why would you even do it? Why would you even lie to him? Like what, what could you possibly get out of saying, Oh yeah. no, sir, I'm not going to take the job and then take the job. It's like, he, he's going to find out you're going to take the job. I mean, exactly, man. Like it's instead of going, Hey Dave, I thought you said you weren't taking that job. And you'd be like, ah, I wasn't going to, 
And they said that, you know, I had to go, if I had had to go through the whole process, I was not going to take it, but they were just, they just re re looked at it. And I yeah, took, didn't look uh, at it the first time. So I was denied. Yeah. It wasn't, I was denied. I just never even got reviewed. And so, right, right. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting. It was a good eye opener for me. Yeah. Like it's just amazing how uh, you think guys in that position would have a little bit thicker skin or had a little bit more understanding. Like, well, there's probably something to it. I know Dave, he's a stand up guy. There's probably something more to this, not just like automatically. Yeah. Like, oh, he's a liar, and then you know, just go from there. That seems yeah, he didn't, like a it, well. There was some back. There was a little background. He didn't particularly care for me either. Oh uh, well, that's it then. That's I'm you know, sure. Like that's... We're in, I remember sitting in the basement of the Pentagon, and I used to wear suspenders under my suit because the but the belt buckles that I had at the time would set off security alarms when you were going to vote. Right. And right. I'm like, all right, so I guess I'll buy suspenders because they won't set the alarms off, and I can keep up with the chairman. I had to go through security. He didn't. Yeah, so yeah. there's a reason why I had suspenders, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was going to the Hill to do that. We're going down onto the floor when I was in the Pentagon. And uh, I remember I had my sport coat off. And uh, he walks by and he goes, nice suspenders, Dave. And I go, oh, thanks, sir. And he goes, it wasn't a compliment. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> some smart-ass captain, some two-star. Right? But I'm like, hey, man, I don't like... Well, yeah. Why? Why is he? You know, why would he say something like that anyway? If he doesn't want to get a smart ass remark back, I mean, come on. You yeah, know, like you know, you're trying to. You, obviously, you're trying to get under my skin. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Oh, I'm probably, okay. so I there, probably so could have some history with that guy. Different. Yeah, it's not like he's trying to help me be successful. Oh, right? uh, well, I wouldn't worry about that then. Okay, so you go to acquisitions. Um, yeah. yeah, I remember you were when you were in Huntsville. I came down to see you. I think. Yeah. Um. And then how was that? Was that pretty good? I mean, you guys, uh, it was, good. It was when you got the, um, the Lima model. Yep. Yeah. So it, was a, it was an eye opener for me being, you know, haven't been on the top side of this and now we're in the program office and they're worried about the Hill. And at that point, um, we need to go through milestone B, which is this big acquisition process, but you have to actually staff it through the entire army staff to get proved in the Pentagon by the, um, by the acquisition executive. And so, you know, I remember they basically came to me and, you know, we had kind of had some false starts and they're like, we need this meeting to happen. I'm like, okay. And I didn't know anything about it. Plenty of great people that, that helped me navigate through this, but I did know the Pentagon and I knew the process from there. Right. And so it gave me a start point to kind of back plan our roadmap. And in a year we had gotten through and briefed on the acquisition executive, which, you know, there are, I mean, it was constant trips to DC and, meeting with folks and, you know, fighting the bureaucracy to get a program approved that they said they wanted. Yeah. Um, and at the time it was the only milestone B that had been approved um, through that, through that executive. So it was, I mean, it was a lot of work and really if I had stayed in the army, it, you know, would have probably paid dividends uh, for me on the acquisition side, um, but was ready to do something different and had through my time, uh, had found out about some of the special operations acquisition offices and had met some of the folks and reached out to a couple of friends that had recommended me. And I kind of got, I got, not kind of, I got through their process and I was their guy, right? It was a by name request to this very specific um, unit that supports, you know, the guys um, mm -hmm. across, across all of SOCOM. And uh, I was on assignment there, man. It was like two months from reporting. Perfect. And they're, they call me, they're like, Hey, have you ever thought about being an assignments officer? I was like, what's that? You know, I knew what it was, but I'm like, where's that? And they're like, Fort Knox is like, I've never even given that a thought. 
Yeah. yeah. They're like, ah, you might want to think about it. I was like, I, I mean, honestly, I don't really want to. I'm pretty excited where I'm going. And they're like, ah, I'm like, do I have a choice in this matter? They're like, no, it's already been briefed to the one who is General McConville. Um, it's already been briefed to him. You're, you're going to come be an assignment officer. Jeez. Okay. Wow. Yep. Let's see. Oh. That's how that went down, buddy. But see, with officers, uh, I don't know that much about it, but it seems like that's the way officer, the officer ranks go. Like for an enlisted guy, it's pretty cut and dry. You get, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's you get orders and the, you're, you're just going to accept those orders. But with officers, it seems like they have a little more leeway to, to move you guys around. And they saw your they, background. And they're like, it, it was, well, did you, do you I met, consider I that? The things they needed, they need, yeah, it's a definitely, I mean, it is, it is, it's the job in acquisition, right? Like, yeah. It is definitely a compliment and you know we only take you know the top certain percent because you don't want poor performers assigning others right sure like sure you're managing the careers for the entire career field um, right. as you know right coming out of coming out of the fam you know yeah. you know that so yeah yeah um i had met some of the require i'd met the requirements that all needed to be met leading up to that and they also needed some of the skill sets that I'd had. And so it really kind of next down. And as we were finding replacements when I was up there, man, you eliminate 99% of the field by just going through files. And you're like, there's only these five people that we can choose from. Do their timelines work? Are they up for assignment? And for me, it was just kind of, it was. All the tumblers that were in the place and you were, a, you, you were a good guy. I mean, obviously, yeah, there's tumblers that fit and fall into place, but then you also have to be a stand-up guy. You can't be like a, you know, yeah, you can't have been... a, a discipline problem or have bad OERs. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, like it's... This guy's stellar. He, it, he, it all works out. So yeah, he's, that's just. And it's a small them. team, right? You know this, even, even if you meet all those, it's the dynamic of the team as well. Sure. Sure, and sure. so, it, you know, if they're into one thing and you could be great and, and you've seen this and, and you can be great, but not necessarily with that team. Right. Yeah. And you may just have a lot of friction and, you right. know, you just can't you don't right. see eye to eye. And yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And for whatever reason, I happen to personality wise fit into that niche. So that's what I did. Nice. Did then you went to the guard after that or no? Yeah. Yeah. Acquisition okay. assignments guard. Uh, but. So- we can kind of go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, so what I was going to say is um, you mentioned before about going down to the border, um, mm-hmm. the guard, your guard time was in government affairs and mm-hmm. um, which is a cool job because you get to kind of be the for the focal point or like the, the face of your section mm-hmm. or whatever and kind of explain that stuff. But then they decided they were going to, um, and this is kind of your transition to getting out as well. They said, uh, we want you to go to the border for about six months and do, um, you know, kind of um, uh, like government affairs stuff down to the border. But then they also wanted you to, to deploy. And you were like, you know what? That's I'm good. That's that you tapped out after that. So let's talk yeah. about um, or was that is that kind of the right timeline? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah. So you come back from the border. They're like, oh, by the way you're going to where are we going to, where they want you to deploy to it was still while i was on the border um so oh, okay. they wanted me in december they called as i was driving to mccallum texas um they called and said hey uh in fact i got an email official notification not even a call official notification i would read this email so i call and i'm like hey what's this and they're like oh yeah you're you're on assignment to kuwait for a year for a 51 Charlie, which is different than 51 Alpha, 51 Alpha is program manager. 51 Charlie is a contracting officer, which means you have to have 
specific training, a warrant so that you can actually buy stuff and pay for stuff, none of which I've had. And I was the acquisition assignments officer, right? I'm very familiar with these jobs. Right, right. And uh, I tell I tell a guy, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not qualified for that job. He's like, oh, you're a 51. I was like, nope, that's a Charlie. There's, I'm an there's alpha. Letters. Yeah, there's, there's more and to he's it. Like, and he goes, you're the only guy in the state that can do this job for us. And I'm like, okay, there's very few acquisition folks. And I'm like, I, don't buy it. I say, here's the problem, man. I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get to Kuwait and I can't do that job. So then I'm going to get put on general staff. Right. And yeah. uh, I said, no, I can't do that. And he, I said, by the way, I'm already been activated. I'm on, I'm going to the border. He's like, oh yeah, you would leave from the border next month. We're deploying you next month for a year. I'm like, what are my options, man? He goes, you can retire. I'm like, back to back to my uncle dirk getting me two years of time in college that counted i didn't even know i was eligible to retire until a month earlier nice so all that time counted towards a guard retirement and so um that's how it kind of came to an end right i mean i got a 10 year old and a, a nine year old and yeah you know pending assignment to kuwait from a border mission where i'm already gone and, and you know i just felt like my responsibility was more to my kids and my family than for sure. some general assignment in kuwait when the yeah, they, war well, you couldn't have done really it anyway good. and i can't even function in that role so i'm gonna yeah. end up just bouncing i'm like I, you know no i mean i think i look i we talk a lot obviously um but i i think your career has it, it's been one of those where it just seemed to go in the right path at every turn. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like it wasn't uh, you, like, like I said, you, you, you filed for that or you applied for that acquisition acquisitions job. They didn't get it. You didn't get it, but then you did get it. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. it's at every turn. It's always been kind of like you, the decision is clear of what to do. You know what I mean? Right. You had a, you have a stellar career and at the end of it, uh, instead of trying to stay in and kind of trying to hold on and take that deployment to Kuwait, which would have been, Oh, frivolous gosh. you know it would have been unfruitless uh you're like you know what just get out and start doing the uh the other you know the second part of your life i guess is what mm -hmm. people kind of say you know you're the civilian yeah. part of it so i got uh, called before, later that day too and they were going to deploy me a second time so there was one that's leaving in january and one in november gosh you were sought after man <laughs> what's well, so so tell me about the border like you so you went down oh, you, this crazy, is this yeah. is during like the whole the whole uh border uproar yeah. i mean this is when everybody was going down mm -hmm. there when people were in cages and you know there was this big uh big mess um but you were right there in the thick of it so tell me about that yeah. like, tell me what, how was your experience down there yeah so kind of the deal i made by not fighting that activation was i said i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna live on the border that's not happening. If your guys are willing to keep me from Austin, I'll, I'll be the border liaison. Um, and they said, okay. So, you know, I go get a truck and go get this Ram 2500. Um, <laughs> they give it to me. And then, uh, you know, it was like, Hey, go down to the border and be the liaison officer. And they didn't know what that really meant because nobody had worked <laughs> in government affairs before. Right. And so we had a couple of state reps that were going down. The governor was going down and we had everything from policy on the border and, and supporting border patrol, which is what the Texas National Guard did. We support the Department of Public Safety in Texas, state troopers. And then within that, we have the federal organization, which is Border Patrol, BP. And so mm -hmm. in these sectors, you're getting hundreds of thousands, 2.6 million last year, of people coming illegally across the, the southern border, not just in Texas, but Arizona. 
And so, you know, as I'm going to be doing congressional travel right back to the days in the Pentagon, I need to go see this. And so I'm like, all right, I got a trip coming up in a couple of days with some state reps. Let me go down to McAllen. Let me go down to Laredo, Del Rio, everywhere. I drove 12,000 miles along the Texas border in like four Jeez. or five months. And I would just link up with the ground unit and I would go out with them on a mission or a couple missions. And we would just grab, you know, we'd chase drug dealers and the folks smuggling human traffickers. And then we would, you know, also see the families that are coming across trying to just get processed. So, yeah. I mean, it was, it was absolutely bananas seeing everything from the wall, the Trump wall, different parts of the wall to, you know, being on the Rio Grande. I mean, I've set foot on the Rio Grande everywhere from where it enters into the Gulf of Mexico, all the way to El Paso um, and, and walked many of miles of that and have been kind of involved all around it. Um, yeah. It was, you know, as a Texan, as an American, it's, it's, um, you know, it is in a terrible situation. Um, what's being allowed to happen down there by federal policy, mm -hmm. um, fentanyl coming across, you know, these people want a better life, but the, the border is controlled by the cartel. So these people are out on robbed on average four to six times, by the time they even get to the water and then when they come across the water, right, they are processed. And within 48 hours, they are on a plane. They have a plane ticket or a bus now somewhere in the United States. And then they get a notice to appear in court, which has a 90 percent no show rate. Those folks right. are in the United States. And we have no way to track them. Yeah. So, you know, for the it seems small crazy town, to me that that's, yeah, that, that's it, it would policy. blow your it would blow your mind when you see the hundreds of people per hour that are coming across per hour. We were down. We saw a guy and, and you know, I'll send you some photos. We saw a guy transporting a mule, transporting folks across. And by the time we parked and you have to lock your truck when you're on the border, by the time we parked and drove back, there was 150 people that had come in on the road behind us when we were driving back. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, that probably it, happens uh, on a daily basis. I'm sure. It, it, hourly, hourly, yeah, it happens, hourly, and all along that border. Um, I had the opportunity to be on on do a boat tour with Department of Public Safety. We had some cartel folks on the south side. You know, we pull up and we just turned the corner on the Rio somewhere, and they were shuttling 15 people on a small raft across, and so we interdicted them and pushed them back. And now the thing is, those people it's a fine line, right? If they're already on foot, we're not pushing them back because they're on U.S. soil, which yeah. U.S. U.S. soil down there is, you know, your yard to your neighbors. <laughs> right. Now you're under this whole different set. Well, those people now have paid, you know, three to $5,000 to even get access to the Rio. Now they don't get across. It's not like that mule is like, ah, we'll try again. That mule is now charging them another three or 5,000. Right. You know, he's, yeah, he's, he's not giving their money them. back. Yeah, no, he's not. Man. And so it's a terrible terrible system um for folks you know yeah. i mean it almost seems like and this is kind of just my personal view but it, it almost seems like it would be better to just pour assets pour resources to the border process these people correctly take their fingerprints take their picture you know find out where they're going to go maybe give them some food and water and then maybe send them on their way it's as well, opposed so to that falls under title 42 so they're doing that right the, the your point we can't do that as state activated agents, right? The border is a federal mission. And so they need to provide, bureaucracy, man. It's a, yeah, they need to provide the resources to do that. Now, the 
The problem is, right, in Del Rio, a couple hundred miles, you can look at, look where it's at. Yeah. Uh, but they have so many people coming across that the Border Patrol agents, it takes, you know, anywhere 40 to an hour, 10 to process one person. When right. you have a thousand people in a day, now these agents are processing those people, do exactly what you're talking about. But no one's securing the border in their 500 miles because they're in the station processing. Yep. So, so everybody, so you got border? all these people that are that are processing, but you got however many more <laughs> just coming through. Yeah. Just well, I mean, drugs, people. I mean, I like for perspective, man. I was down. What one of the things I like to do when I was down on the border was in the evenings. I wanted to smoke a cigar. <laughs> and look over the Rio Grande and watch the sunset on the Rio Grande. I knew, you know, by now I'd realize this is going to be a moment in time where I get to do and participate in, in federal and international policy like this. Sure. And so I just wanted to sit at the end of the day and think about it and just, just have a few minutes to reflect with the guys that, that I was working with down there. And yeah. so we'd take truck, grab cigars, sit there and in Laredo, in Laredo, in that one hour of sunset, a hundred yards from us. So picture this, you've got me, you know, clearly in a vehicle, you've got another buddy of mine in a vehicle and there's three or four of us, you know, cowboy hats, like we are not locals. Right. You've got a hundred yards to the left, a border patrol vehicle, hundred yards to the right border patrol vehicle, 200 yards further down border patrol vehicle. Okay. You've got these guys and, and the Rio Grande for perspective is only about 15 feet across right there. Okay. These guys are fishing and they're putting loading vehicles in between us, backing up with people running and jumping in their truck and driving off. I look over, it just, sun had just set, I mean, just set dark, finishing the cigar. And I look over and 15 yards away, two guys are crawling on their hands and knees trying to get past me. Jeez. And this is in the course of an hour. I mean, they're not even, it's so bad that they're not even like trying to, there's not even... They're, they're just coming right by you. They're, it's just like they're not yeah, even I trying mean, to get you, down the river or, you know. This is crazy, man. You go and interact Amazing. with them. It's about an eight-foot drop-off. So, you know, in that case, you know, you go chase them back, grab them, get them back to the water. But it was so thick down there in the brush and bush that yeah. you can't even see them. It's right. so thick. And you're five feet above them. And so it's just a matter of time. So as I was driving out, I mean, I waited an hour told BP guys and you know I stayed down there and as I'm driving out they're trying to cross again and if they run and get across game over right they're now in and, and you're not going to get them that's such um, a crazy it's so crazy that if they make it then that's it you know but if it's yeah, what a weird concept dude human smuggling and trafficking down there it, it it has forever changed my perspective of the the size of the problem and, yeah. and it really is you know the recent change in administration before I'd met the last two Department of uh, Homeland Security directors and had, had a chance to talk to them about the changes. Um, and they were looking at assigning resources away from the border because it was so secure. Yeah, secure. So what you being down there, you talking to BP, you talking to local law enforcement, what what's the solution? I mean, what what are those guys saying? Obviously, we need more people. Yeah. But what, uh, what it, else? I mean, you remain in Mexico is a big one. Right. And so we have to have the ability if we bring you in that we don't even process you or we process you, but you have to remain across the border. Um, that that will stem the flow of people into our country. Yeah. That can't follow the American dream. Right. If you're an illegal and you're not 
documented, you're not going to be able to thrive and live the American dream. Mm -hmm. You're always going to be looking over your shoulder, right? I think it's a multi-step process. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, the other like do it the right the, way. Initially, do it the right way. That way you can at least have a leg up on everybody else. That's right. And we should yeah. we should figure out a way to do that, right? Yeah. Um, I'm certainly not a, a border policy expert, just a small part of the part of it for a little bit of time. And, you know, but at the end of the day, what we can't allow is 2.6 million undocumented immigrants to come in to, to our country. Now, let's say they are coming in. What do we do with them then, right? Because they are yeah. coming in. Well, I think, you know, I think, you know, we've done it the right way. It's like, if you want to be a sanctuary city, why are you raising your hand when we're dropping off illegal immigrants to your sanctuary right. city? You have said you're a sanctuary city. You should get these 2.6 million people. Yeah. I mean, if you're willing to take them in yeah, and they say, I think that some of the argument is, well, you know, we're doing it, but you should also be doing it. Well, if you can't make a person do it, you know, if, if, if that area where they're coming in, if those people who live in that area don't want to, or can't, or have, don't have the resources, then, and you are willing to do it, then it makes sense to just transport those people to a place where they're going to be received with open arms, you know, where people well, that, are, that want to, want to do that kind of thing. Yeah, it's already been decided. If you, you know, these states came in and cities came in and said, we are a sanctuary, so you're not going to go after illegals. Fine. Then you can, you are saying that you have the resource to right. do it. And it's not like, in, uh, it doesn't have to be like a, like a point of contention. It just, it, it no. should just be like, well, no, oh, great. I'm, that's wonderful that you guys are doing this. Here right. they go. Here they are. Yeah. Take care yeah. of them. I don't yeah. see what the issue is, right? I don't, I don't either. Yeah. Political theater. I'm like, look, you said this is what you want. Cool. Now deal with it. I, you uh, know, they blame uh, they blame leaders uh, trying to sneak them in or using them as pawns. But I'm like, I, you could call it that, and maybe I, they maybe could have done it a little bit different. But at the end of the day, regardless of the, how they got there, you want you're willing to accept them. So you know, take care of them. Mm -hmm. And right. wouldn't you say? How would you? I mean. Is a wall a thing? I mean, do you think a wall would? Yeah, are the, that's, it is a thing, right? The the. I mean, would it is is it uh, an effective measure? I guess is yeah, measure. it absolutely is because it canalizes people into checkpoints, right? And and the wall that we had before was like eight feet high, yeah, right. You, you're going to get over that. Now sure. people will talk about the Trump wall and sections of it, and I've seen you know where the new sections were, and like I've seen the whole thing um, because I drove it. You know, yeah. drove along it. And that wall in particular, it's not a Trump wall. It was the wall that was done before. So I'm not talking about that section of what they put in, but I'm talking about the type of wall that was used before and what they were doing. And it's a 30 foot barrier that is extremely difficult to get over. Now they're taking PVC ladders and they're doing it, but the flow of people that can come across that aren't. And we have sensors and lasers and everything to get over there. Right, right. Um, so, you know, you can stem that flow as much as we can. And I think, I think we should. Yeah. Um, but there's also At least that you don't need it, right? For, right. Big bend, the whole area out there, you don't need that wall. Yeah. So nobody's coming across that way. Yeah. But I think yeah. uh, in my mind, the border was way more secure than it is until I showed up down there. I was like, Oh, <laughs> I think a lot I of people know this think what that. it was. This is I like, think a lot of walking people across think that. the water. Yeah. yeah people have no idea. Walking across. You're like, Oh, huh. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's it, private property down there, right? They're mm -hmm. flowing across private property. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the yeah, with a wall, and there's just not enough attention to it. I don't know if it's by design or if it's, you know, it, it, you, you really question whether people really care about it. 
based on their actions. You know, if, if they really truly cared about it, you think they would do a little more about it, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's, um, so then you got back from that and mm -hmm. that's, you're like, look, I'm not going to Kuwait. Um, I'm just going to retire. So then, mm -hmm. um, talk to me about that. Talk to me about how your preparation for retirement and, um, you know, how that, you know, what you're, what, just for other guys that are, are on that fence or looking to get out, or do you have any advice for anybody mm -hmm. that might be, you know, trying to make that step? Yeah, that's a tough one, man. Um, I certainly, you know, used to get a lot of calls for this, um, the folks that were thinking about it now, you know, I think everybody's kind of, at least in my circle is kind of has a timeline of when they're going to do this. Um, it's been, it's been different for me. You know, I got out and then in the guard. And so you're not really out because, you know, I've spent a couple of years activated in the guard. Right. Um, so most recently, right. Getting out completely. And, and, you know, you're aware of this, uh, you're kind of like, uh Oh, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. Cause everything's been scripted. And I don't think, you know, I had some, some positive things and some, some choices I probably would have done differently. But uh, for me, it was about, putting the family first and not moving us um, because of Jessica's situation. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I think that there's a big issue with performers and, and highly successful people. And I would, you know, mostly special operations folks I'm talking about pilots. It, it's not an issue of, are you going to be successful? Yeah, they're going to be successful, right? It doesn't matter what you do. And just right. because you can be successful doesn't mean that's what you should be doing. The roofing is an example. Of, hey, yeah, we we did that and it was great. But, you know, while I'm into that, I'm realizing, man, I don't necessarily love this setup and I got to find a way to get out of it. And so, you know, when you talk about failing and failing first, failing, whatever those things are, it's like, hey, sure. I've tried a couple of different things and I've been happy with the results, but is that what's been fulfilling and really kind of driving the engagement every day. And, and the answer is no, right? Which is why I'm now going down this aviation path again, because it's a lot of fun. It keeps me, you know, with the family and in charge of a schedule. And um, you enjoy it. I mean, that's, I, a, that's yeah, a big part I, of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fulfilling, right? I mean, fulfilling and I, and when you started this up, I, uh, you, I could just tell you were excited about it. You know, you know how you yeah. can tell when you talk to your buddies, you're like, when you talked about roofing or you talked about, you know, giving mortgage, uh, yeah. mortgage loans to people, it was like, yeah, it's, it's my job. It's what I'm doing now. But this aviation thing, uh, mm -hmm. you, you could really tell like a difference in your, in your attitude. Yeah. So, and I, I tied the mortgage thing to giving back to the veteran community and getting folks out fly fishing. For sure. And I, I was excited yep. about that, but then I found myself Definitely. not being excited 100%. about mortgage and you can't, you can't over, you can't do one without the other. And it's like, that was really great and something I've really taken away from it. But the mortgage side is not necessarily enjoyable to, right. to continue to do every day. So, yeah, yeah I you've think, done a lot of good things and you, you had a lot of influence in your community. Yeah, you've yeah. done you've, you've used that as a kind of like a stepping stone to do other awesome things. But, yeah, the at the end of the day, you still have to like do the grind of the of the loan thing. And also another thing I was thinking mm -hmm. of that was commendable about you is you say family like Jess has had to move around a lot, had to find new jobs a lot, had to do, you know, and she has done that and she's very been, been very diligent about it. But now it's commendable that you are like, look, she is in a good place right now. 
let's focus on her. And I think a lot of military guys kind of forget mm-hmm. about that, that you, you've been uh, go, go, go for like 20, 30 years and your spouse has been right there dealing with it and doing her best. But then it, once, once you get out, it's almost time for them to shine. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, now what do you, what do you want to do? Let's make you successful. Let's, let's focus on you. Um, and that's, I think that seems like what you're doing. I mean, like she seems like she's in a good way mm-hmm. right now and really you're, locked in. You're right. You're right. You know, I was going to go back to grad school. I've always wanted an MBA. Um, I was going to go get my MBA at the University of Texas here. Um, and, and it was one of my goals when I was on active duty and I was on on track to do that. And then when we get out and I'm kind of navigating the waters, well, at the same time I was going to go do that, we had an opportunity for her to go do the executive MBA program at UT. Um, you know, it's one of the top five, 10 in the nation. And, and we made that choice, right? Do I, do I want it? Would it have set me in a different path? Um, absolutely. I probably would have gone more the corporate route than the entrepreneurship route. Uh, mm-hmm. Neither, neither one's better or worse. It would sure. have just been a different path. And for her, you know, working at skinny pop and director of R and D and that, you know, it was better for her and part of her growth for her to go do that instead of me. And man, I was, I'd like to say that I was completely on board at first, uh, <laughs> you know, but I wasn't, yeah. man. It, it was, you know, it was very um, kind of like, oh, you're getting to do this. And, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. using, you're using my GI bill in, a, in, in the back of my mind. I know it's the right answer. I know yeah. it's what we should do for the family, but it's yep. still, when you see somebody kind of living out, not your dream, but you see your, even your spouse you know, you have to be in the right frame of mind to, sure. to accept that. And, and I wasn't at first. And, and then, you know, she's basically like, get over yourself, right? <laughs> right. Either, you, either you're on board or you're not. And, yeah. and it was never super contentious. It was just sure, a sure. little like, oh man, I wanted to do that. But yeah. Um, and, and you're right. It's man, you have to focus on them. And, you know, once we had the conversation about it and recalibrate and you're like, oh yeah, what am, what am, what am I doing here? This yeah. is, this is about us. Um, yep. You take a step back, you get, you get away, you get out of your own way for a minute and you're like, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Be a little good for everyone. What am I doing? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, but that's the way we are, man. We're, we're like, uh, we are aggressive and we try, you know, we're like, I want to do this and I'm going to do it now. And I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to get that. Um, but then we, sometimes we forget about the people in the way of that, not in the way, but like a good way in the way, you know, like, uh, yeah. oh, well, maybe I shouldn't do that stuff because of these other people. That, yeah. Maybe she wants to learn and focus on this. And by the right. way, it's directly applicable to her career. <laughs> exactly. You know? yeah. And it's, this is, this is one of her goals that you can make happen. Why wouldn't you do that? Right. It would, right. Right. It would have been very selfish to, to continue to be unhappy about it or not provide that. It's like, Hey, at the end of the day, I can provide this, you know, to my teammate in life here. Why wouldn't I do that? Sure. And she is, um, what's the name of her? She, what's she doing now? She's, yeah, she's uh, at Sunshine Beverages now. She actually works for. Say that again. I think it got cut Sunshine up. Sunshine Beverages. Sun, uh, Sunshine Beverages. Okay. It's one brand within, within a portfolio of brands that she works for a private equity, um, private equity firm. And so they have a few different brands, but that's her kind of the main one right now. Cool. Yeah. She's right director of innovation. Nice. Um, okay. Uh, that I think that um, that brings us to kind of like the present. I mean, like you're um, mm-hmm. uh, and you're still, like I said, you're still doing your aviation thing. You're and you're looking to. Are you still looking to to maybe get an airline job, or are you looking to? Um, I don't know yet, man. See where it goes. Uh, yeah, see where it goes. Be in a 
be in a place to say yes to whatever whatever seems right and whatever really kind of path God lays out for us. Um, right. and, yeah. and it's, you know, it's hard to be patient. That's the hardest thing. <laughs> for sure. Um, but I know that there are things that we have to do regardless of what that path is. And so just focus on the present and accomplishing those things. And then the rest of it will play out. Um, yeah. I've partnered with the Commit Foundation, which is a great organization. And they're really focused on kind of figuring out this values-based process to make sure that you're not launching into a career and that's really their focus they're like hey you'll be successful but let's let's help you navigate what that landscape and lifestyle looks like um and they'd spend a lot of time in kind of that special operations community aviation um group and so um i'm working with them and it's great process um just kind of in the first stages of it um but great organization uh, to figure that out and just have to be willing to take the time and not launch the first opportunity that presents itself. And so for the first time, I think I'm like, okay, let me pull back some of the stuff I'm doing on the volunteer side. Let me pull back maybe what I think I want to do and just kind of be pause and be a little more patient. Kind of weigh it all out and see what, Mm -hmm. see what pops up. Mm -hmm. You you mentioned that uh, you, and uh, what you're, like you said, you're into a lot of, a lot of charities in your community is, uh, do you want to mention any of those? Like, um, some other things that people can donate to or look up and support. Yeah. Like Wade, I, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say Wade's army is uh, one. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Wade's army, a uh, good friend of mine, uh, John Wellborn and Kate Wellborn, um, started that I think 11 years ago to honor one of her high school friends. Um, she had she had twins, and then one of uh, one of the twins, the boy Wade, ended up with neuroblastoma, and and passed away. And at the same time, Kate was having twins, um, and so they wanted to kind of honor that and find a way to help fight neuroblastoma. And they created this Wade's Army nonprofit. And so we spent, and I've spent probably the last five six years working with them, and you know friends, and helping them raise money and and donating. Um, so that's a that's a great organization, Wade's Army dot org. Um, I would say vet rec outdoors, vet rec outdoors, which really gets folks outside. It's really a central Texas one. It gets veterans outside, out onto the water. A lot of it's hiking, learning how to be comfortable outdoors and do that. Um, do that with the confidence to bring your family to do it. One of the things okay. I really have been focused on is, you know, there's a lot of folks that want to take folks on these trophy hunts and get a veteran out to go do this, go do that. And they forget about the family. Yeah, and, and bringing the family along. And it's, there's no point to me in going fly fishing if you're going to be by yourself and away from your family. Why not learn how to fly fish so you can take your kids and your wife and you can create that family experience yeah. um, for folks. And so for me, you know, I had a platoon leader of mine in Afghanistan, a guy named Matt Heisey. Um, He went to third group afterwards and unfortunately um, decided to take his own life in 2017, I believe. And, you know, that kind of res- definitely resonated with me and some other folks. And I think we all know folks that have kind of struggled with that. And so, you know, I really wanted to find ways to get folks outdoors. You know, I, I find it um, enjoyable and therapeutic and, you know, connecting with folks. And, you know, you and I went hiking and just, just doing that sort of thing that gets you out of your headspace, gets you out of the comforts and of your home. Yeah. It pushes you out to to continue to expand and push those boundaries. And it's relaxing and rewarding. And um, I'm really focused on finding ways to get people out to do that. Nice. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because sometimes we get, uh, not me, I mean, some get stuck in their homes and they feel like there's nothing out mm-hmm. there they feel they stuck they get stuck in their ruts and uh they're you know and they getting outside and kind of being exposed to stuff like that is kind of eye-opening and a little more refreshing mm-hmm. and it can mm-hmm. recharge their batteries a little bit yeah that's good yep right on all right man i gotta roll yeah. i know you gotta get going uh thanks for coming on here man i appreciate it it's good it's talking great to thing you. you do man i love hearing love hearing your buddy stories and i know them but i haven't heard all the stories so it's, it's a lot of fun thanks for giving uh, me the time yeah, no, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yep. All right, my man. All right, dude. See you later.